And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is just a wild Wednesday edition. It's the 20th day of December 2017. I want to welcome everyone to, to this edition of the Hagman Report. Uh, thank you, Global Star Radio Network, for carrying our program. Of course, the fine folks at BTR as well. And if you're watching on YouTube Live, welcome. I have a great show lined up for you tonight. Uh, tonight, of course, the bottom of this hour, a very special surprise. Peter Chalk is coming on. And then hour two... Stephen Menking to talk about cryptocurrencies, something that uh, that we addressed in previous programs, but need to really address further, I think. And uh, I'll tell you what, he knows what he's talking about. So that and more tonight as we dissect the news, delve into the news. Joe, it's been a, a, a really kind of a wild week. The week leading up to Christmas is always a time, I think, where you've got the regular broadcasters or the regular people pretty much on cruise control, others on vacation, and then we hit Christmas. Everyone's going to be on vacation. When I say everyone, I'm talking about the normal, uh, you know, frontline broadcasters. It seems radio, specifically with radio personalities, yeah. that there are a few times in the year where you get extended vacations, and that is around uh, Christmas time, and then usually in the summer. Uh, but everybody seems to take off that same time around the holidays, so you have... Um, more of the, the, you know, the Sean Hannity's, the, uh, Michael Savage's, the Laura Ingram's taking their time off and they usually take a week to two weeks. So you get a lot of guest hosts and, and, um, those are always interesting shows to, to hear the different hosts that, that people bring on when they're gone. And, um, but you know, we don't have that luxury. We don't get the, to get the two weeks off, but that's okay. No, 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 we're, we're not there. And, and I, you know what? I really don't ever want to get there wherever there is because seriously, I think that, uh, covering the news and bringing the light of truth is the 24 hour, seven day a week, 365 day a year process. Now, uh, one thing that I, I, I happen to catch, I just want to lead off with this and then we can go wherever. But uh, I talked about this in my show this morning. This past weekend, or within the last few days, on the Fox show Outnumbered, I don't know whether how many people, I don't know how many people saw this or listened to my show this morning or or saw this, this. Keith Jackson, or Kevin Jackson, what is his name? One of the hosts on Outnumbered, or guest people that, whatever you call those people, commentators, um, had talked about the the infamous insurance policy, the text by Peter Strzok to Lisa Page, and the insurance policy. You know which text I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. He said something, and I wonder how many people out there, did you catch what he said? He had, it was almost this, this casual mention about this text. That brought the entire show kind of to a halt momentarily. He said, you know, 
you've got to wonder what the intent was of this this message of insurance policy. And yeah. then he said, could it have been maybe, or could it could he have meant, for example, an assassination plot? And they kept talking. Well, you know, that's... Uh, and then, Well, I just want to say, and then all, like all, almost in unison, everyone else said, wait, 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 what? <laughs> what? You know, so it was kind of like a stop right there, full stop. That's but anyway, go ahead. Report. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the story's on Hagman Report. Yeah. I posted that earlier today. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it was interesting, a little weird. Um, but you have to ask the question. I mean, what... There, there could be... Obviously, what they were plotting was to impact Donald Trump in a negative way to remove him from the presidency maybe physically or or through impeachment we don't know so it, it, is it possible that that is what some of that talk could have been about until we understand what it really was yes it's possible uh, look i i'm open for thinking out of the box that's kind of what i the the first thing that crossed my mind when i heard that about the insurance policy that was on the show outnumbered right Right. Did I get his name right, Kevin Jackson? Uh, let me pull up the article here. But I'm, I'm pretty sure. But but that was my first thought about this whole. Yes. Yeah. And he didn't he didn't think twice about saying that. And then then of course they were saying, well, that's the you know the conspiracy talk on social media. And he said, well, you know, yeah, but. And that kind of was left hanging there. So uh, I would I would submit to you that that's. He's probably more correct than incorrect in my view. Now, I'm not saying an assassination plot to take out Donald Trump. That's not what I'm saying or with, with, with specificity. What I'm saying is that out of context, uh, text to me seems like it meant more than the Russian dossier, which was kind of a done deal by that time. If I, if I'm understanding this correctly. So what could it have been? Could it have been something physical? Could it have been something a little bit more um, out there? And I don't think we can dismiss that. Um, no, it's until just, we know what they really did, did mean, we right. have to, you know, all possibilities are on the table. And interestingly enough, I was just, just before we came on air, I read an article about the testimony given by Andrew McCabe. And let me check my alerts on my phone. I saw a piece of news earlier today that said due to inconsistencies in McCabe's testimony that he's going to be brought back in front of Congress again. And I want to go over this a little bit. What, what he gets a, he, he gets a do-over? Is, is that it? Well, that, that's the thing. He definitely, he lied to the, uh, he lied to Congress. And now they're going to call him back to, I guess, clarify his statements. But I don't know where the news piece is here, but there's one on the Daily Caller that says, um, Andrew McCabe left dossier questions unanswered in congressional interview, and the it points out exactly what was said. Deputy FBI Director McCabe was unable to tell congressional investigators during seven hours of testimony on Tuesday which parts of the infamous Trump dossier have been corroborated. And this is somebody, McCabe, who he said he stood by the document's credibility, but when pressed to identify what salacious, the salacious document uh, which parts have been corroborated by the FBI, McCabe cited the only fact that the Trump campaign advisor Carter Page had traveled to Moscow. Beyond that, he couldn't corroborate everything, anything else, not even the dates of when Carter Page went to Moscow. But 
interesting in the comment section that somebody made the this comment and I think sums this up perfectly because he asked, you know, why why did he lie? Why are there these inconsistencies? Yeah. And this comment this commenter says, if McCabe is standing by the dossier, you can be certain they used it to get the FISA warrants on Trump. Otherwise, why attempt to stand behind something that is clearly one hundred percent false? He has to stand behind it to justify using it to start the entire facade of an investigation. All right. So, so here's here's in summary, I think what we can lay out. You have a claim that the FBI offered cash for any dirt on Donald Trump. You had Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein refusing to answer when asked in the inquiry last week. You have Republicans accusing the disgraced Peter Strzok of using dossier for a wiretap, which is is being pointed out now. When I say Republicans, I have to say that because it's it's the Republican committee led committee. And then you've got questions over the FBI integrity that are mounting as Mueller election probe nears its reported end, if you believe what you read in the, in the media. Now, claims have resurfaced that the FBI offered Steele, that British spy, who, by the way, didn't just happen on the scene. This British spy has been known to the FBI for decades, well over a decade. But the FBI offered him um, some $50,000 to corroborate the salacious part of the the uh, dossier. And if you look at the public sources, the FBI, that the FBI offered Steele 50 grand if he would corroborate the dossier. He either couldn't, didn't, wouldn't, and they didn't pay him the money, apparently. Now, remember, um, was it McCabe who sat, who was it, Rosenstein, who sat in open session and said, I know the answer, but I'm not going to tell you, basically? Well, McCabe testified behind closed doors. So. Okay, so it had to be, I think it was Rosenstein from last week. Yeah, I know the, because he was asked, who did, did the FBI pay for the dossier? And if so, how much and who, to whom? And the response was, I, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, you know what, I, I know the answer to that question. I'm just not going to tell you. And to, uh, what amazed me was the committee at that time let let that line of questioning go. Yeah. Would be you or I, we would be you know behind bars, uh, contempt of Congress. But apparently this is meaningless as we as we're seeing this right now. But um, now <laughs> I do believe that that what we're seeing here is the. Is the this is an FBI generated or this document was used as you had said and and I I, w- I would say this is perhaps all, all but verified that this discredited document was used as the basis for a FISA wiretap and if so everything that really yeah. from that is the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine well I shouldn't even say that everything else from that would be called into question but I think that's tell- exactly what they did I mean. They they created this opposition research and then used it as fact to justify the FISA warrants. And I think they're going to get caught in doing this. Now, what consequences will they face? I don't know. But we know how bad it is that the FBI is the one that 
is paying for this opposition research along with the DNC and Hillary Clinton, it's bad. I mean, just the fact that I, I didn't see that exchange with Rosenstein, but if he wouldn't answer that question, they're not, uh, you know, you have McCabe in there today or yesterday being asked about the dossier, not being able to cooperate any of anything in there except one fact of somebody who was on the Trump team traveling to Russia. No, okay. He's going to be called back to testify again right. because apparently he misspoke or he lied is what he did. Well, and the Daily yeah. Caller article points out how exactly that looks. But why 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 do we have to go overseas? Why close doors? Why, why and I agree with that too. But why do we have to go overseas to hear this, to read about this in the Sun or the Daily Mail or yeah. whatever? It should be in our newspapers, in our media. Do you know that not one of the major media outlets, speaking of that, CBS, NBC, ABC, even the cable outlets, uh, MSNBC or CNN, not one discussed the um, the uh, termination of Project Cassandra. And I talked about that in my radio show today. The fact that uh, Obama, for example, made the deal with Iran and in so doing compromised our national security by by doing what? By by terminating. Using to investigate and prosecute yeah. drug dealers. That's right. Uh, that were using their money to fund Hezbollah. And That's there right. are a number of interesting articles about that today and different um, people speculating on, on what's going to happen. Apparently, the House is launching an investigation into... Uh, this project Cassandra and the Obama administration's involvement. So just like we talked about, I mean, we, well, I was talking with John before the show, how many investigations are ongoing in Congress? And we see these, you know, from Hillary Clinton and her uh, campaign finance, the FEC complaint that was just filed, to her emails, to all these different things, you know, the FBI, um, the Robert Mueller stuff. Nothing ever gets resolved, but yet they keep calling these investigations. They continue to subpoena people. But when you get to the facts, they don't. The Congress isn't pushing for the answers. Just like with Rosenstein, you said they left it on the table. The same thing with McCabe. He's in there seven hours, and they can't, they can't, you know, get him to say one way or the other, you know, what the truth is, what his actions were, what he believes is true, and what he can prove. What are they doing? It's just, um, it seems like it is procedural. They're just doing it to to say they've done they've done it, and that's that. Um, nothing is happening. You, you Nobody's know, being held accountable. Uh, all right, and one of the one of the issues, and I have, if you're, if you like history and if you read books, um, in the naked communist, the, the goals of the FBI or the goals of the the communists, the communist goals for America, uh, that were read into the congressional record back in 1963, one of them. I think it's communist goal number 35, is to discredit and eventually dismantle the FBI. And people laughed when, when they read about this, um, when, when, they, when they took note of this. And, and people like us were called conspiracy theorists for even bringing this up. How in the world could you possibly do that? Now think about that. Communist goal number 35, discredit and eventually dismantle the FBI. So you've got... Um, You've got, right now, years after this was proclaimed, it's quite obvious that the FBI has become this this once great and independent investigative body has become just another government agency 
that's been weaponized and politicized. And I think this is important for people to really, to really understand. And it's, when did this happen? Did it just happen? No. Did it happen under Obama? Pretty much the, the final nails in the coffin happened under Obama. And you have to look at, um, what, what happened with Obama, um, Bringing well, you, know, you go back to Bush bringing Mueller in, and of course the oversight of well, even before that, go go on before that during the nineties from the Murrah Building. We talked about that last night, and then you had Flight Eight Hundred, and then you had uh, the first World Trade Center bombing in nineteen ninety three, and then of course the FBI involvement to the extent that it was involved in the Vince Foster homicide. Not suicide, but homicide. And, and then moving forward, and, and of course the Fast and Furious, and then of course to where we are today. You know, I mean, how much more can this country take? So, and how much more can the FBI be discredited? Discredited. So, at this point, they have to re, just redo the FBI completely, I believe. Now. Yeah, from the top down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so, so this is one of the communist goals, and I think that that mission accomplished on uh, in terms of, of of Obama as a communist Marxist. And and so look, what's, look, 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 just look at this. This is a stated goal. You know, here's the thing that I don't quite understand. We as as members of, of the American public have been told, or at least we have available to us, the goals of these Marxist communist progressives. And every damn one of these progressives appear to adhere to this communist philosophy. Mm-hmm. And, and even look at Rosie O'Donnell today. Today, This... Can't even say on the air what she's... You know, I, I saw her described as a fat, ugly pig, okay, on social networking. Mark Dice did a video about mad cow disease and used her as the example. Right. But for for her, okay, that aside, um, I'm not going to go there. See, we've got to get into this because this, with the tax bill, the historic tax bill that was passed today, and this is what the media has been uh, so efficient at doing, and this is just, you know, creating the distractions and lying to the American public about Donald Trump and the Trump administration when... He's trying to focus on on the issues, on getting things uh, like immigration reform done, uh, you know, the national uh, security strategy that he just laid out, becoming one of the first presidents ever to try to tackle the EMP problem. You don't see that being reported in the news anywhere. And also the the, the tax bill that we see that was passed today, finally, that over 80% of taxpayers are going to get tax cuts beginning in February of this year, significant tax cuts. Sure. Uh, and meanwhile, the media's perception would have you think that, uh, you know, basically this is only a, a tax break for uh, rich corporations and everybody else is getting tax increases. Well, everything's a lie. Everything's exactly. a lie. So, you know, this is the problem. Trump is trying to, to do what he did, what he said he was going to do in his campaign. He's trying to fulfill those promises and he's actually accomplishing things in the face of all this, this hostility, these lies and these attacks. Yet at the same time, the media will, refuses to report on his accomplishments, like the continuation of the dismantling of ISIS, uh, and just so much. And look what, what's happening in the economy today. If you go on drugs... Well, well, hold hold on see, a second. R- Rosie O'Donnell, I just wanted okay. to finish this thought. The reason Rosie O'Donnell was t- described as that, well, the, the per- personal characterizations aside, 
what she did was she bribed or attempted to bribe, or so it seemed, two senators. Hey, if you vote against the tax bill, I'll pay you $2 million. Yeah, that's a crime. Okay, which, yeah, you're bribing a, a federal official in public, overtly. <laughs> you talk about the epitome of lawlessness. There it is. How about this? How about if I if I went on Twitter and said, you know what, for for my personal enemy, um, I'll pay a million dollars for I don't know, pick your federal crime. Do you think I'd be a free person, or do you think that I would be visited by the, the appropriate federal agency? I think the latter. Yep. And she gets away with it, and that's for because the, the well, it, what we're going to see her perp walked. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe? You think? I don't know. I, it was interesting. Uh, no. Oh, she not. could say, oh, I was just kidding. You know, I, I, I don't have $4 million, actually $2 million apiece. I don't have that. I was just kidding. I was just venting. But she was it, very specific. She actually yes. named the senators that she was propositioning this to. Well, okay. I mean, if, it wasn't it, just a, a outright, I'll give $2 million to whichever Republican senator votes. No, no she was, you're Jeff right. Flake. She was very specific. Yeah, she, she named names, so. But, but, okay, but think about this. And then, then, then you go, go where you, I mean, from, from the day one, you had that, uh, I'm an angry woman, nasty, angry, nasty woman, or nasty woman, uh, Ashley Judd. And then you had, um, uh, Madonna out there saying that she often thinks about blowing up the, the White House. Any blowback? No. And then Rosie O'Donnell and other uh, celebrities and, and, and Kathy Griffin holding up the head of, the severed head of Donald Trump. And by the way, have you seen, Joe, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, have you seen how ugly, and I'm sorry if this if this is offensive to anybody, but have you seen how ugly Kathy Griffin has turned and how ugly Rosie O'Donnell is? I mean, physically repulsive to look at. Now, I know I'm going to get emails. Yeah, you yeah. know what? Go ahead. Send me the emails. All right, well, there's a few things. Uh, but, but no, when, when hate overtakes you and you've got nothing but this progressive mental disease, that's what happens. Really You're not, me. I mean, it, it, the hate from within just bubbles and, uh, it, it it's, it does. It, it manifests itself yes. physically. And my daughter, uh, who's working in the office, came in and says, hey, "That's good Christmas spirit." It's not so much that their physical appearance is ugly; it's that it's their uh, emotional, it's their personality that's ugly. And then that makes the you know everything else uh, a turn off, at least in somebody you would not want to be around. I saw a poll recently where they talked about uh, the mentality of of. And they did, they did it along party lines, Republican versus Democrat. And it was something crazy, like 74% of Democrats are miserable all the time, apparently. Well, it was the opposite with conservatives. And I think that to some degree, and I think there's a religious element in there too, but I think that it has to do with the mindset. I mean, when when you see these people, these these media jackals and these rabid Hollywood people out there, you know, just constantly, oh, I'm going to punch Trump in the face, and he's a race. Just that constant negativity, you know, name-calling and labeling every little thing you see and, and pointing it in a negative light is going to take a toll on your body, not only mentally but physically. And I think that's what we see. Just give it another few years when Trump's first term is almost over. See the progression of that appearance and how much worse it's going to get if they continue They'll have Kathy Griffin and 
uh, and uh, well, she Rosie. Because she shaved her head for right. Well, they're, they're both gonna have walking parts on on The Walking Dead. Like I'm pretty. <laughs> no I've never makeup? seen. I've never seen that program, but I've seen like, you know, the. <laughs> I, I don't know, but. Well, uh, we we got like two minutes left before the break. I, just on this tax bill, and we're gonna have Peter Chalk on next segment. This interview with Paul Ryan is a good example of what I was talking about. Paul Ryan tears down media bias against the tax bill. Wednesday, NBC asked Paul Ryan if he was living in a fantasy world regarding new tax reform legislation. ABC's Good Morning America and CBS This Morning. House Speaker Paul Ryan was on both shows calling out the media for spreading disinformation about the legislation and fact-checked their Democratic Party talking points. Good Morning America. Uh, George Stephanopoulos asked Paul Ryan, a lot of people in the public are skeptical about this bill. A new poll out this morning shows that more than half of the public is opposed to the plan. Then Ryan says, I think because you have sort of been hit on their TV screens by the media and the Democrats that everybody, that everybody's getting a big tax increase. And that's just not the case. He's, and he goes on from there. You can read the article on Newsbusters, but he's going on to make a, a good point that Regardless of what the, I mean, how many of these Democrats or people in in America do you think actually have read the tax bill? Boy, I I have. Pick me. No, I haven't. So I haven't. I just read highlights of it. And this is interesting how this works because you have the media basically coming out and saying this is only a tax cut for the big corporations and. The American people, the rest of the American people are going to get screwed and it's going to be tax increases. And I don't know who to believe. It's going to be a huge deficit and they're going to cut Medicare and welfare is going to disappear. Well, and, who do we believe? But Paul Ryan says, I think they're going to change their mind die. when they start to, to see more money in their paychecks. Please and don't who are kill these us. people who are... Like, I, I am. I don't, I don't want understand. the money. <laughs> well, you can send it back to the IRS voluntarily. Okay. I'm afraid that we're all going to die. Uh, oh. Seriously. The, uh, I, no, I mean, <laughs> you, you've got to kill the bill, don't kill us. Kill the bill, don't kill us. Come on, what what is wrong with you people? Yeah, the, the media. Oh. This is poll show that most American people believe this is going to be much far, far more generous to the corporations than to individual taxpayers. And uh, Paul Ryan says, yes, this is, you know, your fault. This is the media fault, the people in the media are the ones arguing with each other and giving uh, confusing language on the bill. But when people see that their paychecks are getting bigger, that their opinions are going to change on this. And, you know, you have people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer calling this Armageddon, in a violent tax bill. Nancy Pelosi called it a violent tax bill. But all, overall, this is a win for the Trump administration. And you already see... Uh, on Drudge, you have AT&T giving 200,000 employees $1,000 bonuses each. Also, Wells Fargo unveiled Shame. minimum wage hikes after tax bill package. Also, you have companies already announcing that they're moving factories back from China. And this is just the, uh, I'm sure they're all trying to get in there for the headline. Um, but this is just, you know, the first afternoon of the tax bill. They say that, economists say that this is going to uh, continue to increase the economic growth in GDP in this country, and it is a, a good thing. And we missed the break, didn't we? Were you playing music? You see, I don't have my headphones in. All right, let's go to break. We'll be right back with Peter Chowka.
And welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. We're going to be joined by Peter Barry Chowka in just a few moments, and you can go to Hagman Report and check out the two articles that he has up for today. And I only have read the, the first one he put out earlier this morning, CNN's War on Fox News Goes Hot. He also has another piece up there, VP Pence interviewed on Fox News tonight. And this is obviously uh, it's on Sean Hannity. Uh, in a fill-in host for Hannity, he's going to be talking about the tax bill. I, I just want to I just want to say that Peter Berichaka is on, not only on the radar of Sean Hannity, and I'm not I'm not going to talk out of school. I'll just leave. I'm going to put a period right there. But even more so, Donald Trump, the President of the United States, has retweeted Peter Berichaka out to his followers as well. Now, how many people can say that? That's that. That to me is good report. Not not just good reporting. That's excellent reporting, and that and, and not retweeted to you know to say you know how great I am. It's it's retweeted for the content. That tells me, Joe, that Peter Berichaka is is an asset to not just not just himself, not just us or American thinker or the blogosphere, but to America. That's how strongly I feel about this man. Go ahead, Joe. We have Peter Barry Chalko with us. Peter, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Joe, and thank you, Doug, again for a very nice introduction. Well, hey, Peter, thanks for coming on so so on such short notice. Like we called him like fifteen seconds ago, and say, hey, you want to come on? And he said, well, yeah, give me give me fifteen seconds, and bam, here he is. So, and as long as it's not on video. That's right, because because I, I I'm afraid to see what you look like right now. I'm I'm kidding, but thanks for thanks for joining us. It doesn't have to be on video. Your your uh, work and your excellence speaks for itself. We don't need to see you. So, but but thanks, man. You, you got some great kick butt articles out there, brother. Man, uh, both on Hagman Report and American Thinker combined, it's like you are just a powerhouse. Where do you want, where do you want to start? with respect to what you put out over the last couple of days. Well, uh, you mentioned the, the story I did for American Thinker on Monday, which I uploaded to the Hagman Report, actually a different updated version of it with a, a new title and a new introduction today. And it, it's about how CNN uh, has emerged as kind of the, the leading broadcast propaganda arm of the resistance, you know, the effort by the shadow government and the deep state administration. And uh, CNN, I would say, is number one in that role because they, of course, are international. MSNBC is a close second in terms of a propaganda arm for the left, but, but CNN goes worldwide, so they have an even more insidious global influence and uh, I, I deconstructed in these articles at American Thinker and today at the Hagman Report, uh, in 3,000 words, I, I looked at a, a broadcast on CNN this past Sunday, Reliable Sources, interesting name for that show, hosted by Brian Stelter, who has a particular uh, animus for Fox News and for Sean Hannity. It was four weeks ago that Stelter did a, a program with... Uh, Angelo Carusone of Media Matters, in which they uh, 
savaged Sean Hannity and his work with no equal time, of course, for anyone defending Fox News. But this Sunday was a, a new low point. Uh, Stelter devoted 90% of his hour-long program to bashing Fox News, Sean Hannity, 21st Century Fox, Rupert Murdoch. And then at the end, they brought on Tamara Holder, uh, an attorney from Chicago who had a contract with Fox News for uh, several years, paying her as much as $300,000 a year to be one of these left-wing talking heads on Fox News. And she alleges that she was sexually harassed or assaulted by a now-departed uh, Fox News executive, and that when she brought this to the attention of Fox News executives, uh, she her contract was ended, and this, according to her, uh, destroyed her life. And she admitted during the live interview with Stelter that because of her, quote, PTSD, she had to turn to an illegal drug, MDMA, or ecstasy, to find relief for her PTSD. So th- that's one indication where this woman is coming from. But interestingly, she I, did I've say... Got, Peter, I've got P-U-K-E problems. Okay, I, not PTSD, but P-U-K-E problems. Seriously, from these asinine... Uh, uh, sorry, but I'm, I'm growing sick and tired of these people. I'm sorry, I just had to say that. I'm about ready to explode. Go ahead, sir. Well, I heard what you said in the first half hour about... Uh, the appearance of people like Rosie O'Donnell and um, the severed head woman, Kathy uh, Griffin. And, uh, you know, it may be impolite and politically correct to say that when we just look at these people on the left, they are repellent. And it's not only limited to females. In my opinion, there's a lot of really sick-looking males on the left, too. And it does come from within, I think, you you eventually, especially as you age, begin to show even more what's inside of you once the uh, the glow of youth wears off. But anyway, an ironic point that, that uh, Tamara Holder made on CNN when Sean Hannity, uh, when, when Stelter asked her about Sean Hannity, he said, well, Sean Hannity has a reputation of being a Boy Scout, and Tamara, who worked closely with Hannity, often appeared on his show, said, yes, he's a Boy Scout plus. So coming from her, that seemed to be uh, an interesting endorsement of uh, Sean Hannity as having no, very likely no skeletons in his closet. But anyway, what we're seeing here, to to step back for a moment, is uh, the news being weaponized just as the intelligence community is being weaponized. And Doug, I know you're covering that angle uh, extremely well, especially on your morning program. And I wish transcripts of that were available because I don't know anyone else uh, that I'm monitoring out there who's really uh, telling it like it is. I'll have to contact, contact Right Wing Watch or uh, <laughs> or some some of these uh, low lifes that you know are down south uh, uh, criticizing me. My every word, they've got transcripts because uh, they got nothing better to do. Maybe I can talk them into buying. You know, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yes, well, finally, we can agree they're doing some good work, uh, maybe. But, uh, uh, you know, the, what CNN is doing, and they are really the tip of the spear here, but what concerned me, and I added a paragraph at the introduction of my article today at the Hagman Report on how CNN is uh, 
focusing uh, more of a hot war on Fox News, their long-term enemy. But it's not only what CNN is doing, but uh, the day of that broadcast and then the days afterwards, we see a lot of the rest of the mainstream media, including in print, taking the lead, or probably they're all working together, collaborating on this meme. They're now trying to say that, that Fox News, the people at Fox News like Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, the Fox Morning Show, and uh, the alternative media that are raising questions about what the FBI has been doing and what special counsel Robert Mueller is doing, that any of us who raise those questions are now enemies of the state and we are planting the seeds for, as, as one analyst or reporter said, possibly another Oklahoma City in the offing. And this is, again, the pot calling the kettle black. After eight years of the regime of Barack Hussein Obama, which you can argue continues to this day with the, the strength and power of uh, the legacy, he has left us with the shadow government and the deep state. But there was a guy in a leadership role who... Uh, created more dissension and uh, polarization than this country has ever seen since the Civil War and maybe in its entire history. And now the left is stepping out and saying we're guilty of that by simply raising questions. I mean, it used to be the left that was always raising questions about the intelligence community and the activities of the FBI. I mean, they used to have congressional hearings going after these agencies. Now, all of a sudden, uh, they're their best friends, just like the left was always in cahoots with Russia, and now Russia is, is a bad word, and, uh, you know, we have this collusion investigation ongoing uh, without end, apparently, according to the Washington Post this week. So, it, you know, it, we are really living in interesting and incredible times. And, and another thing I'm really concerned about, how this all factors in, because we're seeing really a multifactorial full-spectrum assault here, and, and one angle is what CNN and the rest of the MSM are doing with, uh, you know, attacking people like uh, Hannity on Fox News and the rest of us, etc., but we also see the uh, bubbling below the surface, and it occasionally rises to the surface, of this meme, the hashtag MeToo, feeding into women's... Uh, the feeling of many women in the United States that they have been against by men in power and uh, certainly that goes on we're not denying that at all but it's now often running into like a, a new witch hunt and and you know we see people being taken down left and right uh, the latest uh, interestingly Tavis Smiley of PBS who I'm no great fan of but he appeared on Tucker Carlson's show the other night to defend himself he was summarily fired from uh, or, or eliminated from PBS and uh, he also had a play that was about to open about Martin Luther King and that has been canceled now and according to him uh, these anonymous or maybe anonymous, not anonymous charges but charges that haven't been publicly uh, revealed ha have brought him down and he according to him has had no ability to defend himself and he, cl he claims that he's innocent of these charges that have pretty much destroyed his career at this point. And, and he's not the only one who has been summarily brought down. And uh, so, you know, where this ends, I don't know. But it, I think it's planting very deep-seated emotional seeds in women in this country who, of course, vote. And we saw that in the uh, 
polling results in Alabama a week ago where Judge Roy Moore went down to defeat, and he lost, supposedly, a majority of the women because a button was pushed on women voters there in Alabama who normally would, a majority would have voted for the Republican. But when you push that button of sexual harassment, and I know this from personal experience and talking with many women friends going back years, and they really became ardent when the issue of sexual harassment came up, and maybe justifiably in many cases. But it reminds me of what went on starting in the 1950s and especially in the 60s with the civil rights movement in the United States, which ultimately was largely funded by the Communist Party, USA, which is not to say that civil rights did not deserve our attention and reform. But the things that took root then, like affirmative action, set-asides, and again, polarization of the races, which we see today in full flower, largely arose because messages were sent to Caucasians, to white people in this country, especially in the 60s, and associated with those messages were guilt. We, as white people, were supposed to feel guilt for what went on with relations with African Americans going back to the beginning of this country. And not only were we supposed to understand and perhaps move beyond discrimination and slavery, which ended now, what, 150 years ago, but we were still to embrace this and imbue it so that today on the campuses and elsewhere, we see this having been raised to absurd levels where white students are being taught basically to hate themselves because of so-called white privilege. So we see how these seeds are planted and they lead to political agendas and outcomes, which may not be foreseen at the time when they seem like maybe harmless things. I see that seed being planted now with women, and I see the outcome of this being that, from one myself who doesn't really like to make predictions, but I have to say that looking at the landscape for 2018 and 2020 in particular, I think it's safe to say that we're going to see in the lead for the race for Democratic nomination for president in 2020 a female candidate, probably a person of color, to boot. And I would put my money on Kamala Harris, the brand-new mixed-race senator, Democrat senator from California, who is, by all accounts, going to run. Kirsten Gillibrand of New York is also positioning herself. And I even heard a prediction on Fox News from Monica Crowley that she thinks that the Democratic Party might turn to Michelle Obama as their standard bearer. De Blasio out there, too, Peter. And last time you were on the Hagman Daily Show, we talked about this at length. And I agree with you 100%. I believe that Kamala Harris will be front and center. She'll definitely be one of the top two or three in that primary vote for the next nomination. Oh, the humanity. And the frightening thing about Kamala Harris is her career, especially as she has risen to national prominence in the last year as a brand-new United States senator who 
came right out of the uh, box there on full attack mode when she was questioning uh, uh, Jeff Sessions uh, during his confirmation hearings for Attorney General, and she really went for the juggler there with no respect to a, uh, a former United States senator. Usually they accord them some uh, courtesy and decency, but she did not. Anyway, her career is, is precisely paralleling that of Barack Hussein Obama. He was a brand new United States senator, wet behind the ears, and uh, before he could even uh, figure out where the men's room was in the, the Capitol building, he was running for president, and the rest of it is history. You know, he was the right person for the right time, and uh, he took it all the way home. And, and again, when you when you read the tea leaves of what it looks like for 2020, you can see all of these different things coming into alignment now. The, the hashtag MeToo movement, uh, the, the myth, I would say, that if we just had more women in power, especially Democrat women, all our problems would be solved on every level, including harassment problems. By the way, isn't it interesting that we never hear anything about uh, harassment that occurs on the part of powerful women who, uh, here and there you will see reports if you look far and wide, who, who harass uh, male subordinates. And uh, American Thinker recently had an article about that, which uh, was quite interesting. But, uh, you know, as usual, we only get a small part of the story. And, in fact, this week, we when we look at the developments vis-a-vis the uh, FBI uh, activities, suspicious activities of the last two years, and we look at uh, Robert Mueller's investigation, you know, I mean, this is like, it should be red meat for journalists, for the media, for the news media to cover everything that's out there, and instead they're not covering it. I mean, they're basically, if you, if you look at, if you have a strong enough stomach and you tune into CNN on any day or night, you're seeing an ab- absolute parallel universe. In, in fact, a, uh, a course, a person I'm corresponding with on Twitter, described it as a twilight zone reality and that's a perfect description it's like when you watch the mainstream media or listen to it or read it you feel like this is the twilight zone this is some kind of bizarre parallel universe that bears no resemblance to the actual political reality that we know is going on if we have the uh, more than the attention span of a gnat and can actually look at what is happening so uh, God yeah. help us at this point. And this is why, you know, we were talking about in the first segment about the this, this tax bill is, is a great example, how the media, you know, most of the American people have not read this. They're only listening to what they're told by the media, and the media is lying to them, telling them that this is only, you know, for the rich, that the regular Americans, the regular working-class Americans are all going to see a tax increase. And this is why you see the media, every time they interview somebody who was a, a part of this tax bill, say, well, what about the American people who believe that taxes are going to, you know, increase and blah, 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 blah. But as Paul Ryan was interviewed on uh, George Stephanopoulos' ABC show this morning and on CBS, he says, you know, the American people will see the difference in their paycheck and that will, uh, you know, lift some of that confusion that the media is bringing. But you're right, Peter, they're so focused on, on trying to, to catch Trump in a lie or a scandal or to bring him down. And Trump's working on on issues and, and trying to get things accomplished. That 
if you're looking at this just from what the media covers versus what is actually happening, you know, you're missing a huge part of the story because the media is being completely dishonest and misrepresenting just about everything that happens in our world. And it's very frustrating. I mean, you have to stay on top of it constantly. And you know, Joe, what we saw recently with the upending, allegedly, of public approval or disapproval of Obamacare. I mean, when Obamacare was rammed down our throats uh, in March of 2010, uh, between then and about a year ago, it was always down in the polls. The polls always said that a majority of the American people didn't like Obamacare and wanted most of it repealed. All of a sudden this year, when tr- after Trump was inaugurated president, and the media really started t- to do its number to, uh, you know, put a gloss on Obamacare and do all these stories about how if Obamacare is repealed or if the mandate is repealed, this or that person would lose his or her coverage and would be, we would see people dying in the streets, literally, you know, and it's that, that in-person narrative that they put on the screen uh, that, that really touches the heart. And if we we're to believe the polls, supposedly a majority of Americans now, for the first time in history, like Obamacare. And even assuming that these polls are manipulated, you know, it's probably true. Just like what you said, uh, the media has done to uh, uh, completely smear tax reform. I mean, it, it should be an article of total common sense that the IRS, the tax code, needs to be reformed for the first time in 31 years and made fairer and more simple. And yet, to believe these polls, once the media has gone to work on it, uh, it's just the reverse. And now we can hope that the reality will sink in. But, you know, every day when, when we look at the reality in front of us, and it's like most people, or it seems a majority of people, cannot process that reality that they see in front of their own eyes, and instead they are feeding on and believing this ridiculous propaganda stream that is endless, total, uh, 24-7, and they've got it in the palm of their hand every waking moment, and then some via their, 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 their dumb smartphone. And it's completely zombified, I think, a majority of the people in this country, if not around the planet. And, uh, you know, again, I say, God help us, because I don't know what the antidote to that is, other than wh- what we are trying to do here 24-7 to, to speak truth to power. But it's really, it really seems like an uphill battle uh, more often than not. Oh, and it is. And interesting, uh, Hillary Clinton came out today on Twitter and... Uh, and got raked over the coals as she put out a, a tweet asking for donations to uh, something productive to do with your outrage today. And then she linked to a, a group called Swing Left that she uh, that she donates to. And she got uh, taken raked over the coals on Twitter. One of my favorite ones was uh, Democrats. I wasn't mad about Kate Steinle being murdered by an illegal alien, but it sure does anger me that I'm getting more of my money back in taxes. And that pretty much sums up the... Uh, <laughs> You know, the, the, this rabid insanity of the media and of the left. And it is almost as though they want to see America fail. Or they hate Trump so much that anything he stands for, they're just automatically against without any common sense or, or logic, uh, in there. And it, it's, it's amazing to watch. Absolutely. I just wanted to take a minute or two to, to give a few breaking updates that I've become apprised of about Fox News. 
which you know I've been covering for the last uh, seven months intensively, and uh, developed some interesting sources there. And I've noticed the rise of uh, Richard Fowler, the 30-year-old left-wing uh, gay Democrat um, talk show host, supposedly, who's a Fox News contributor. And he has been anointed to be one of the street reporters for Fox News Channel's uh, coverage on New Year's Eve, which I found very concerning because that will put him in a reporter's role along with Kat Timpf of all people. And uh, I think we can look forward or not to seeing much more of Richard Fowler maybe in a reportorial or actual hosting role. Another one who's rising to that level of Fox News is Jessica Tarloff, the extremely hard-to-take doctrinaire left-wing activist who's another Fox News contributor. And she is now emerging as a regular co-host on the Fox News 12 noon Eastern Time daily show Outnumbered, which means she's more than a contributor. She's becoming a, a co-anchor or co-host, and I'm extremely concerned about that development. And finally, I have some good news to report here exclusively, and that is that um, uh, the reporter from formerly from Circa News, Sarah Carter, who has made scores of appearances on Sean Hannity's show since uh, early in the Trump administration and has broken so many stories along with her former uh, collaborator at Circa, John Solomon, who's now with The Hill. Well, it appears that Sarah Carter has moved on from Circa. Uh, my understanding is that she will be officially joining Fox News in a major reportorial capacity in 2018. In fact, she gave a hint in, a, 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 of this on her Twitter. A day or two ago, she said that she's uh, going to be traveling to the West Coast to celebrate Christmas with her family, but she will be back on Fox News in 2018, so we can look forward to that. Okay, in case I don't see you guys before Christmas, Merry Christmas to the extended Hagman family, including all the listeners and viewers, and uh, I'll be around next week in case you have any openings. So, oh, uh, absolutely, P Peter. Thank you. You uh, you've done it again. I mean, your reporting is exceptional, and thank you, thank you for everything you do. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry we'll Christmas. We'll be in touch. Thank God, you. Bless, God bless. bless. Talk to you soon. All right, that was Peter Barry Chalka. Follow him on Twitter at Pete Chalka. If you're not following me on Twitter, you got to. You have to. So do it right now. Twitter at Pichaka. Maybe right back, sir, where you're at. D don't move. Don't move. That's right. Talking to you. Hey, welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is Wednesday, December 20th, five days before Christmas, and just almost, not well, just a little over a week uh, before 2018 hits us. It's going to smack you upside the head like, you know, 2018 is, is, is here already. Can you believe that? I was watching a, <laughs> a rerun of something. I don't know. Uh, you know, as you get older, you, you tend to go to, like, you watch Matlock reruns or something, right? Um, and, or whatever, but somebody had made reference. So I'm not going to get that money until like 2010. 
Uh, okay, I'm thinking, man, you know, um, here we are, 2018. And, and the reason I bring this up, doesn't it seem like time is going faster? It, it just does. And I, I believe that there is some, some divine, oh, don't, don't give me those eyes. I can yeah. hear your eyes rolling. Okay? I was listening to an old Michael Savage show today from maybe a few weeks ago, and he did a segment on, uh, he was talking with a friend of his on, on air about how mm-hmm. when you're young, how time, it seems like it takes forever. And then the older you get, apparently, it, it increases and increases to the point where Physics apparently when you get those. to your age, you know, you blink and the day's gone. What do you mean my age? <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? No, you know what I mean. When you get older, time goes faster as you get older. Was, was you know, you were the, uh, adopted because uh, just I'm just saying. All right, how's that for disclosure? You, you know, uh, Peter Chaka was on last segment and um, talking about uh, the 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 war, I find it very interesting, and I just want to kind of punch this up a little bit with respect to um, there is a war against Sean Hannity. There is a war against the conservative pundits on cable news. That war extends to all of us in the new media, the honest media, the internet media, the satellite media. And if you think you as a person are immune to this, you're wrong. Which is why I would stand behind Sean Hannity and stand next to him when rough stretches of highway, like irrelevant professional, you know, um, ambulance chasing attorneys, in my personal opinion, struggle for relevance and, you know, think too much of themselves to believe that they would even uh, chart a warrant or warrant, a, you know, an invitation to a hotel room. Really, again, rough stretch of highway, largely irrelevant. And then, of course, their fan club, literally, you know, consists of the three or four people who are equally abhorrent the lies the reason I bring this up is not to bring down any one specific person, except to say that people like that are part of a larger contingent of, of people who are signed on to the tactics, or to the tactics of bringing down um, the, the, t- the truth tellers in the media. And they don't give a darn he thought I was going to say something else. They don't. They don't care if it's us or True News or Infowars or. But they just don't like it. See, that's the problem. They don't like it. Aside from the jealousy, aside from the envy, aside from their own personal demons that they've got and their struggle for relevance, they, there's also a built-in mission where I truly believe members of the um, uh, what would you call it the cabal of people who are attempting to take down Donald Trump are also employing these people and tactics to take down and shut us shut programs like ours up and we come into every day fighting that fight and I just find it interesting to see it's almost as we watch the uh, accusations against um, many people 
grow. There's that factor that's they're exploiting that sections of that segments of that and pulling that over and attempting to make it stick onto people who, as, as Peter Barry Chaka said, as a, people like Sean Hannity, Boy Scouts, and that's not going to work. And what that also does, well, it does sometimes, unfortunately. It, but. Well, yeah, it, to some extent, but in the, in the at the end of the day. It really, I think it really has an adverse effect, Joe, on the, um, on the movement itself. I think that, that women should be believed. All right. If you make an accusation in general, they should be believed. However, you also have to have that innocent until proven guilty, Mm -hmm. unless there's demonstrable evidence to show, you know, photographic evidence or physical evidence. And, and, and that's the problem with these Gloria Allred. That's right. I mean, right. doing things in, for trying to weaponize the sexual assault claims for political purposes and gain is doing a huge disservice to real victims of sexual assault and then conflating, uh, you know, language of men asking, telling someone they look pretty, conflating that with, you know, sexual assault and sexual harassment. Um, you can see how things are getting out of hand and even the media pundits have been walking back. Uh, you know, you see in the news recently, Al Franken, he was going to resign. Now he's not going to resign. Now he's going to retire. You see a lot of people in the media, uh, you know, urging him not to resign and not to retire. Uh, but they, they don't know what they even want. The, the media, at least. That's very and they, true. They have been trying to weaponize this, well, which is really uh, confusing that's the very, issues very also. True. Yeah. I, I, although I do think I, they know what they want. I, I just think that they don't know, um, they're throwing a whole lot of mud against the wall to see what's going to stick. And, and then and when they don't like what sticks, they try to walk it back. There you go. That's, that's extremely true. So, uh, this is something that, that we're paying attention to or watching. Um, uh, and, and I don't think that this is any small issue. I think this is a pretty big issue, but bottom line here is, well, w- w- would it matter? Look, you know, I happen to Nancy Pelosi. She sexually abused me 10 years ago. She invited me up to her chambers. And, uh, would that stick? No one's believing that, right? Of course not. No, of course not. But, but see, you toss, you toss accusations like that out there where it, obviously where, where proximity equals possibility, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a problem. So, anyway. We have our guest with us, Stephen Menking. He has his latest podcast up on Hagman Report, Sound Money Update, Gold, Silver, Bitcoin. And that is up there posted today. We're going to be talking about the economy, specifically crypto cryptocurrencies. Stephen, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Well, what did I stumble into here, Doug? Are you okay? <laughs> no, I, I, I have got PTSD in... Uh, I'm I'm in treatment. I, I'm taking Xanax and anything else I can find to just wipe the memories. I, I tried well, gouging my eyes out. Let me, let me do out. my best to interject here and maybe change our perspective a little bit. <laughs> First of all, guys, it's a pleasure to be back here with you. God's blessings to you, to everyone else, to John, to Eric, to Jackie, to Renee, to everyone there, to Lady. And this is my sixth appearance in 2017 on the Hagman Report. What a privilege, what a pleasure, and what a year it's been. Uh, there are a couple things. I have the distinct honor, ladies and gentlemen, of being Doug Hagman's first follower on Gab. 
Yeah, that's right. Nice. That's Fox. right. I, I joined Gab today, not knowing a doggone thing what I'm doing, and and there you are. So right there, right ready for it. So uh, at Doug Hagman over on Gab, two ends on Hagman. Get over there, join the conversation, you know, boost that profile. Hit the like button on the YouTube. Every little bit helps. We are fighting a war, and weirdly enough, it's done in social media and comments and things like that. But speaking of, Doug, I want to give you a round of praise for your broadcast this morning. Uh, I listened at two times speed, and it felt like it was so dense that the time was dilating. I think I got more information in that than in a month of previous reporting. It was just really uh, precise, to the point, on target. And if people aren't listening to your broadcast that you do, they really are missing out. And I don't say that because of flattery or because you're having me on your show. I'm saying that you're doing a legitimate, necessary, um, invaluable service to the body of Christ and to the service of truth in general in terms of exposing wickedness and tracing these things through. Tell me tell me this, Doug. What's the size of your, like, whiteboard, your corkboard with the connections right now? Are you talking, like, full Sistine Chapel, or is it still, like, only a basketball court? Uh, I'm going to need a bigger board. That's all I'm going to say. Patreon, uh, Patreon, yeah. support the Hagmans. Doug needs some more space to connect all these different dots. we got a ton of things going on, and 2018 is definitely going to need a bigger board. Um, but before we get into the rest of the topics and everything else in terms of, yes, ladies and gentlemen, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and blockchain and all that, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this platform, Lord. We pray that you would preserve it and that you would sustain it, Lord, that you would bless Doug and Joe and the rest of the team over at the Hagman Report, Lord, that they would continue advance your kingdom to speak the truth and righteousness and to follow the calling that you have laid upon their lives lord god you are worthy and you are faithful all the glory goes to you lord jesus and i just pray that you would station a guard by my mouth that i would only speak those things that are edifying to you lord open hearts open minds open ears lord show us through your holy spirit what you want to speak to your people today i don't have any strength in myself, I don't have any knowledge, Lord. It just has to be from you. Otherwise, it's worth nothing. Lord, we need to store up treasures in heaven, and that starts with pursuing you, pursuing your kingdom, and pursuing your will. Give us humble spirits and spirits of obedience and clarity and sobriety and gratitude, Lord, in this season for your birth, your death, your burial, your resurrection, and your sacrifice, Jesus. We bless you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And if I can just interject one thing after that prayer, very, very uh, um, and thank you for that. I just want to tell our audience that uh, my wife and I had the very distinct honor and pleasure of dining with uh, Stephen Menking and his wife for lunch in Branson, Missouri, back in September. And it was just, uh, they're marvelous people. And um, I, we thank the world of Stephen and his wife. They're just extremely marvelous people. What you see is what you get, and we're so thankful that uh, that he's coming on to explain something as hideous in my view or as complicated or as uh, just help me out with all this cryptocurrency stuff help us out I don't even know what, what this stuff is um, and e- even though we had people on to explain it uh, you yeah. know I'm, I'm pretty well out to lunch on it so yeah we have these huge gains uh, Stephen and it seems like the world of the cryptocurrencies has been exploding and you have a lot of uh, of excitement and, and also confusion uh, surrounding the markets, the exchanges, 
and the different coins that are out there. So just start wherever you think is, is a good place. Okay, so there are a few basic principles that we have to understand before we even begin to get into this. Number one, this is an area of great contention and of strong opinions, which kind of surprises me because there aren't many areas where people really get into it about this kind of, this kind of stuff. But for some reason, this, um, this cryptocurrency and blockchain ecosystem really does tend to bring things out in people. Like you can even just post a casual comment on, on Facebook and everyone has an opinion, which in some ways is good, but in other ways you get the sense that the understanding of this space is being driven less by a fundamental understanding of what's going on and more a secondary understanding of either reportage in the financial press or just from something that somebody else said. And so in this kind of space, it's really pivotal and of supreme importance for everyone to do their own research and to conduct their own homework. I've been looking into this in a serious way for about a year and a half, and I've been involved for uh, a year in terms of being active investing in this space, and I've been writing about this on uh, Hagman Report, HagmanReport.com for all these articles. It goes back to the very beginning of 2017 when we were talking, um, I was talking about gold, silver, and Bitcoin specifically, and so my coverage on that has expanded and will change going into 2018 in order to be a bit more comprehensive, but let's start with the basics. I'm not going to do these primary definitions because we're going to get into the weeds and into the technicalities very quickly. What I will say is if you have a question about this, I would recommend going over to uh, amateursociety.wordpress.com and on the resources tab, if you scroll down, there are some videos from YouTube that are posted to help you get started in terms of understanding cryptocurrencies and the backbone and the technology behind it. However, in general, this space and the information available, one of the primary criteria of the space is that the information is open source. It's free and available for anyone to look at, even layers of all of the Bitcoin code and different cryptocurrencies that have the way that their software is run available for anyone to look at. And so by the same token, that value in the community has led to people publishing all sorts of different materials and walkthroughs. And basically any question that you ask is is answered by many different people. And there is going to be a divergence of opinion or path or procedure, but the information is all out there. And I would encourage people to do their own homework, do their own research, and to pray about it. These things are important. And I've been on before talking about proper stewardship from a Christian perspective and the need really to make decisions, but only based on obedience to the Lord. So here are three core principles. If you don't take away anything else, here's what you should take away from this. The blockchain ecosystem and cryptocurrencies in general are capable of bringing three core properties to the financial system in general and to institutions and the exchange of value on an overall basis that haven't been there in the same way before. The first one is decentralization. For me, this is of paramount importance because it helps us understand why there are divergent paths here and that on one hand, this ecosystem can lead to freedom and the democratization of money. And on the other hand, it could lead to some form of central control and that's the version that people are concerned about when they talk about the cashless society and the mark of the beast kind of thing. Now, number two, this is transparent. The properly done blockchain systems 
are essentially a form of triple entry accounting. And if you haven't heard of that term, you will soon. It is double entry accounting that many financial and economic historians credit as the uh, as the, one of the motivating factors that allowed for the renaissance and mercantilism and the expansion of those kinds of systems. In this case, people are keeping books, but now there's a triple entry, a third entry on the blockchain itself, which is essentially just a public ledger of transactions. A sent this to B, B sent this to C, C sent this to D. And everybody can audit that publicly and in real time. So instead of corporations sending value back and forth to each other and nobody being able to access it, everyone is able to access it and to see it. And that is one of the best features of the public blockchain, and it helps talk about some arguments why uh, governments may not want to, and I would argue are extremely averse to, pursuing solutions that go down that properly constructed public blockchain angle, because then everybody could see all the transactions that they're doing. That's a that's a big that's a big no no. It's too much transparency if you're trying to run essentially a mafia crime syndicate disguised as a government. So we have decentralization, we have transparency, and then we have the expansion of access to financial services. There are billions and billions of people on this planet right now who have never had a bank account, who have financial transaction inside of the current system because it was too expensive and it didn't make sense for people to go build brick and mortar banks all the way through these regions of the world and these developing countries and it was too expensive for them to hold and they wouldn't necessarily trust the institutions but because it's decentralized and because it's transparent and because of the way that the structure is created it can be rendered cheap and inexpensive to access this is the system that will allow billions of people who are currently unbanked or underbanked to begin to participate in the economy and lend their expertise, their services, and exchange value all over the globe. So it's everywhere. And for some people, that's a scary proposition because the B system has that attribute as well. It's everywhere. It's permanent. However, combined with the decentralization and the transparency, the reason why the Federal Reserve and other central banks and banking institutions are fighting this is because it's one of their worst nightmares. They're sitting at the center of all of these exchanges of value. Why don't we, for instance, just do business on a peer-to-peer basis one with another? Well, it's too complicated. We need some sort of medium of exchange, and there's no real good way for us to pair up. However, that's different now. What blockchain and what cryptocurrencies allow is a true barter system but a barter system where anyone can access anything else through not a central intermediary that takes a cut every time you go through it, like a bank or a credit card processor, but with each other for not for nominal fees, making it cheap, absent jurisdiction, making it cross-border, transnational, and in a public way where everyone can validate that the transaction is legitimate and that it's happened. So we have those three things. There is decentralization, there is transparency, and then there is access. And so anyone can participate, anyone can run a full node and be, you know, at the ground floor, anyone can mine the cryptocurrencies. All it takes is some spare computing power. 
But Doug, Joe, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, what we're witnessing here is a revolution in the way that finance is conducted. And it is poised to be built up in a way that can displace the old system without quite as much of an intervening period where we have to go through a dangerous and lethal collapse in order to create something new. It's being built up in parallel so that things can be shifted over. And it's totally different. It's totally different. Stephen, I've heard that that argument being made that, you know, um, people have been asking about the legitimacy of the cryptocurrencies, and I've seen the arguments, well, if they can make the do what they did to the American dollar and it still has legitimacy, then, uh, you know, Bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies have to have legitimacy for the way they're doing things. And you talked about the the transparency, and that's obviously a, a huge plus. But where people run into problems is is uh, there's a disconnect. And what you just explained and how to, to get information, how to do research into into the crypto cryptocurrencies, uh, that's all well and good. But a lot of people, as we have seen, don't like to do the legwork. It, it's, it's it's almost like a it's too much to try to to dig in and find the answers for yourself. They like to to have things work easy and, and be told how they work and just be able to one, two, three, get it done. With that being right. said, we see uh, another thing, another issue with the, with the cryptocurrencies is even though we see these huge fluctuations and rises in prices uh, in the last six months, people don't think that they're well-established enough to trust them like they would traditional uh, investments, the stock market and, and bonds and, and mutual funds and whatnot. And I see a lot of comments and, and uh, you know message boards where, uh, people believe this is just some Ponzi scheme at the moment. And the only reason that we see such huge increases is because, uh, you know, th- that you see a lot of uh, ground floor investors during this period, and this is not going to last. So um, with all that said, it is uh, it seems promising, It's and the, the rate of return is almost seems too good to be true. So where do, where does it go from here? I mean, I, well, seen, before you ask where it goes from here, I, I'm asking what in the hell the are you, what the hell are you mining? Yeah, he, where, where, did I miss this memo? Yeah, I mean, okay, what, what happens is you have computers that are somehow able to to mine. You know, they they are constantly running. And Stephen, you're going to have to explain this, but basically, you get like very small percentages and pieces. As but, you but, okay, okay, look, look, I I get the, I get the concept of. Silver and gold being worth something, you, you know, you, you take a silver piece and you hand it to somebody for the work that they did. And, and there's a value to that silver piece. I can hold it. I can put it in my pocket. I can put it underneath my mattress. I get that. But as far as Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, I'm, I'm just like, what, what am I, you know, where is it? What is it? I, I, I'm still having this problem, Steve. Sure. I don't, I don't know. It's you're not you're not alone. It's you and millions of people who look at the technology and then look at the people who advocate for it who are speaking in a completely different technical vocabulary and it's like, you know what? This looks and feels a little bit sketchy because it's not something that I'm used to. And that's the key thing. Cryptocurrencies and the blockchain ecosystem are number one an entirely new asset class with different properties than anything before. For instance, you can buy fractions of a cryptocurrency in a different way than you you can't buy fractions of a stock or of an equity, but you can do that in the cryptos, and that adds some different features there. But generally speaking, this is unlike previous iterations of 
ways to exchange value. And so it's very difficult to come up with an analogy that maps onto the cryptocurrencies in a precise way that helps unlock that understanding. So let me do the best job that I can of explaining where the value in these things supposedly comes from. If you don't believe it, if you don't buy it, then that's fine. But there are people who are investing millions and even billions of dollars into these quote-unquote mining operations. But again, even mining is not a proper analogy because analogies fail at some point when they're trying to describe something new. So the idea is you have to put work in in order to get value out. And in gold or silver or other kind of natural resources that are more tangible, that we can touch, smell, that have these sensory data to them, the work that you put in is physical. You're digging a hole. You're scooping it up. You're processing it. With the cryptocurrencies, the work is computational. But there's a bridge between the computational work, solving complicated math problems by trying things by chance, and then if you solve that math problem, you've validated a particular transaction, making sure that the network is secure and everything else like that. But the idea is it takes energy to run computers. So there's energy being put in through software that's doing computational work. And this digital work is essentially claiming this reward or mining this value. And that's part of what incentivizes people to participate in the network and to keep this decentralized network secure. So if I were to start a blockchain and I had one node, how would I make sure that it's decentralized? I need a million people all across the globe in order to like back this network up and make sure that it's valid. So it's not just me, Steven, you know, scam coin, you know, come here, give me your money and you know, it's going to work out great, you know, 10x, 100x, all this kind of stuff. That's, that's, you know, the way that some cryptocurrencies actually work. And so there's, there are scams and issues in the space, but at its core, there is an execution on this extraordinarily elegant idea that provides this true value. How much is decentralization worth? How much is transparency worth? How much is absolute cryptographic security worth in the storage and transmission of your value? If you were holding something in a bank or at a third-party institution, if you held value other places, that is inherently a risk. You can hold cryptocurrencies in your own possession. And it's not a brick, it's not a bar or something. It is a barcode. It is a mathematical address, a series of numbers and letters that define your wallet, your your address on the blockchain. And then there's a value that's associated with that based on the entire history of all the transactions that have taken place in the space, going back right to the very beginning, the Genesis block. That's what it's called. And then you have that value and you can exchange it with other people for whatever you'd like across borders without that same kind of scrutiny, even though there are questions about regulations and everything else. But I, I get the feeling that I need to answer a different separate type of question about this value idea. To wrap, to wrap it up or to try and get it closer to a one sentence answer, there's a tremendous amount of energy and work that goes into the creation and the storage of this value that is in Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, etc. 
and it is the work itself that sustains the viability of the entire decentralized network. And so it is true. There's nothing, there isn't this like physical work unless you're thinking about the energy and the electricity and the magnets inside of computers and different things like that. But there is computational digital work being done that ends up being translated into value. So a follow-up question on that in terms of helping to understand what this thing actually is before we move in a slightly different direction, Doug? Yeah, I mean, Stephen, even I, okay, I guess let me put it like this. When you say the mining, I know, I understand what that means as far as using the device, it's working somehow. I don't, I don't understand what you mean by the calculations, but there's only 21 million bitcoins in existence. What, okay, who in the hell decided that? It's a, it's a community consensus that said that there needs to be a certain amount of scarcity in the system in order to properly drive value. And there are different cryptocurrencies that don't have that feature. Different cryptocurrencies, Litecoin, for instance, which has similar sorts of operating features, except it's faster and cheaper than Bitcoin, um, to use and to purchase, they have a slightly higher amount of total coins. So essentially, all of these things, you can think of them as just individual pieces of software. So on an open source basis, you can look at it, and the people who wrote the software wrote the rules. Some of them gradually increase over time. They're inflationary, and some of them don't. Some of them have a hard cap, and there are mathematical ways to make sure that that happens. And the only way that that could be violated is if a, a totally different system or setup was exchanged and created. And so there are almost 1,400 different cryptocurrencies and tokens listed on CoinMarketCap. So it's an amazingly complicated space. And that gets back to something that you guys had mentioned earlier about how do you even get involved? Like, what are the basics? Like, how can you do something simply? And believe it or not, well, you know, we should be able to believe this. People understand and good developers in the space know that that is a tremendous need. And that's one of the things that's preventing adoption by a broader swath of the global economy. And so they're working on that intensely. And so whoever can deliver that kind of solution is going to be poised to uh, to see the value of those services, the value of that software appreciate in a truly significant way because that's going to enable many, many more multiples of people to enter the space. But as another side comment, I was on Coach Dave Live uh, for a couple days last week talking about these issues and answering these sorts of questions. And I volunteered to put together a packet of materials, like how do you get started? So just today I hammered out a you know, 15, 16-page PowerPoint presentation with the step-by-step, the crucial things about how do you get started in a really basic way. And I sent that across. And if people want it, I'll, you know, I'm giving it out giving it out for free. There's no, there's no strings attached apart from, you know, you invest in your own risk. There's a whole page full of, full of disclaimers at the beginning. But if you want, if you want that, if you want to see that step by step process in action to get a little skin in the game or to understand even just what's going on here, you can send me an email, amateursociety at gmail.com and I'd be more than happy to forward you that document. Like the whole, the whole thing is open source and transparency. And so I have to do the same thing with the materials that, that I develop. So, you know, who, who decided that? The people who created this money. In the, in the past, the system that we have of debt, slavery, debt slavery, essentially, and fiat currency, it was only the central banks that were allowed to make money. They were the only people who, you know, from a government edict, 
were allowed to create currency and govern it and assign the monetary policy. But that's no more. The cat's out of the bag, so to speak, and anyone with sufficient computer development skills can create a form of money. The question is, will people use it? What will it be used for? And is it just a scam? Because there are plenty of those. And so we have seen these meteoric returns, but there is going to come a time where, like, 80% of it has to get flushed out because it's not going to have a use case. All right. Just let me ask you a question. Sure. Eric, you're going to have to... You want me to come out to Erie, Doug? Mm -hmm. I'll sit down with you. It'll be a day and a half. It'll be great. One of us. We're going to go into a room, and one of us ain't coming out. Let me tell you. All right. Uh, huh? <laughs> the tie's gonna win. It's too powerful. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no. Okay. Doesn't our constitution say what our money is? Or... Yeah, but this isn't American money. Okay. It's internet money. It's internet money. Uh, I mean, that sounds like derogatory. It's decentralized digital currency with the with the features that we discussed before. It's a way to disintermediate and to exchange value without caring about borders or jurisdictions or those things. And create value, apparently. Correct. You know, I, I just, am I thick? Am I, am no. I like? This I, is extraordinarily complicated. I would, I, you know, I could walk you through a couple different things and it would help, but it would take like six hours. You know, I studied this for three months and the first three months I studied it, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, and then I thought it was too good to be true. And then I thought I still don't understand this. And then new things got built, and I had to try and understand them. And then I understood that this was disintermediating the entire financial system, and that you could trust the math, and that it was going to be the way that billions of people would come online and participate in the in the global economy. And I thought, man, this is this is totally different. It's not like some CIA uh, black op because it's open source. And so there isn't like a back door like there was into every other technology. And so if you understand the space and you can put yourself in the right position, then you can do what the Bible says and store up, um, store up an inheritance for your children's children. This is a, this is a wealth transfer and it's not going to exclude the precious metals like gold and silver, but it's this establishment of a trust making decentralized market structure itself that is going to obliterate the paper markets because nobody's going to trust them. Because they're, Nor they're, should fake, they. they're fake prices. Right. People don't care anymore. But if they have true price discovery in a blockchain setup, that's going to set the precious metal prices free to find true price discovery for, you know, the first time in decades, maybe even centuries. I mean, who knows? This is, this is totally new and it's going to be entirely transformative. The future is definitely here and arriving, but it's going to look a lot different than the way that we thought it was. And hopefully, God willing, if if Christians and if people who are inclined towards freedom and the kind of values of independence and decentralization and small government and less intrusive systems, if people who trust in humanity are able to do the research and to understand these systems and to make their voice heard and their opinion felt and to understand that, you know, we shouldn't be trusting these centralized institutions that have been robbing us blind and doing way worse things for forever, for at least in my at least in my lifetime, that these decentralized systems where you all that matters is that the math works. And if you can if you can trust the math and you can, then you can trust that it is properly secure 
and that it allows for these kind of features. It seems too good to be true in many ways, partly because of the price action, but also because it's like, how could something do that? Well, it's entirely new, and it takes a lot of legwork. You know, Doug, I'm not the brightest bulb in the box either. It took me a long time to figure this out, and it takes a lot to be able, and it's less the legwork of understanding how something functions. Like you can get the mechanics. It's moving away from a paradigm that we have existed in for our entire lives in a complete and total sense where we've been captivated, literally held captive by the monetary system. And we all have who've dug into it and tried to understand it know that, you know, it's a fraud. It's a, it's a scam. It's legalized theft. And it's right. what's creating this inequality and economic slavery and debt and everything else. This is a way out. I don't see any other way out. But, and, you know, and that, it's, and that's it's what incredibly powerful. Yeah, and uh, trust me, I would not be having this conversation with anybody if I didn't believe this issue was of paramount importance to our future. And you might, right. you know, the listeners out there might say, well, you know, uh, the cryptocurrency, uh, it's nothing really. It's nothing to really even be concerned about. Y- yeah, well, TV's just a fad too. You know, the internet's just a fad. Okay. It, it, um, right. It is something because if we don't understand this or if we don't address this now, we're going to be caught flat-footed in the future. And I think that oh. it's up to us to really, you know, it's up to you, people like you to explain this. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're, I'm going to stay a moron uh, about oh. the subject. Go ahead. Doug, don't, don't worry about that. But speaking of TV, I am just getting this in. This is uh, breaking from CNN. Racist, insane Hitler Trump advances Putin agenda by giving Americans more money. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this world that we're living in. My friends, my friends. Oh. But... To, to point out how much this blockchain te- technology has the potential to change, not just financial institutions, but governance, energy, everything, essentially. Everything where there's a centralized institution is capable of being disintermediated and dispersed in a way that establishes decentralization, transparency, trust, and allows many, many more people orders of magnitude more to participate in the system. Imagine if all of the sources had that that media used had you know were traceable, transparent, all the rest of it. Eh, I think that might put a few different people out of business. But the point here is a probably a less artful segue into questions about the tax bill and net neutrality and all of this. My view is that if we if we wait 10 years, and we don't have 10 years to wait, there are issues that demand our attention right now. But what's being built here is a decentralized version, not just of finance, not just of any of these other businesses, but of government and of infrastructure technology itself. There are new internets being built that are decentralized. There won't be these gatekeepers. There won't be these content platform providers that you have to go through in order to get your message message out. There's already alternative versions of YouTube. DTube is something that's built on the built on the Steemit platform. There are all these different solutions that are being uh, that are being built um, that will allow open, decentralized, transparent access without these without this gatekeeper uh, in the middle in the form of an institution. So it's not just finance, even though that is the like gateway to it. 
in in the form of cryptocurrency itself. The vast majority of the value that's going to come out of this in the future are companies that have written software that take features that were traditionally performed by centralized institutions and just contracts. If you're if you're a lawyer, that doesn't mean like you should immediately start looking for another job, but consider if your job could be replaced by a simple set of software rules. And then consider if someone saw that a simple set of software rules did a better job than you or than lawyers, than accountants, than all these different white collar white collar professionals. This if this is it's it's impossible for me to overstate the transformative potential that this has. And so is it big enough that you try and pull the plug? Well, you'd have to pull every plug everywhere forever because if there's even one instance of these million decentralized nodes that exist, each one holds the entire transactional history and each one, like a starfish, can be used to regrow and rebuild the entire network. It's extraordinarily robust and it's not just that. It's anti-fragile. Anti-fragile refers to something that has the property of growing stronger, more resilient, and better able to handle with stress, handle stress when it encounters obstacles and pressures and testings and stress. And ultimately, that's the way that our faith should be as well. We're commanded in the Bible to take joy in, in tribulations and in persecutions and all of these things, knowing that in that, the trials of our faith work patience and ultimately it turns into perseverance and hope and the kind of personality and uh, character traits that we want to exemplify, that Christ himself exemplified. So this is an anti-fragile system, and the more pressure that gets put on it, the stronger it's going to become. It's an, It really is an incredible thing, and there's a great book to read uh, called Blockchain Revolution. I think the author's name is Dan Tapscott. It was written, written a couple of years ago, and it's sort of spelling out in a preliminary fashion what the different use cases of this blockchain technology might be and that's one of the one of the problems uh, that people see bitcoin and they see that that is synonymous with this entire ecosystem when in reality they're they're very they're very different and there's just immense potential to liberate mankind from the tyranny of institutions that we've suffered under for our entire lives and some of us have stockholm syndrome unfortunately but you know the, we will we will see this coming year is going to be yeah i mean if you thought that this year was crazy the next year should be even even more absurd like I, it's it's nuts it really is I, I just have one question for you and i'm being kind of serious on this if we if we send in our lunch money to you can you make us money in in cryptocurrency um can i or will i doug no no can you, no no can you well, um, wait a second. What I, what I can say is Will that you, I you, yeah. well, can you? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it's 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 one it's one of those questions. I what know. I would prefer what I would prefer to do is sit down and spend the time with you to walk you through the process yourself, so that you could take ownership over it. It's okay. one it's one thing for it's one thing for you know things to be outsourced to me, a supposed expert. You know, I've only been looking at this stuff for for a year and a half. I don't well, Steve, I don't know everything. So uh, just to jump in here. We do have a plan already. We'll just have to oh, yeah? run, run the plan by you uh, and see what you think of it. Um, and we were we were meaning to call yeah, you it's last It's called week, Hold actually. My Beer and Watch This. <laughs> well, no. let, 
for the for the for the people who have done a lot of homework into cryptos already, consider consider this. This is my this is a grand scheme, okay? So if you have Bitcoin or something, you can you can use those tier one cryptos, those like blue chip cryptos, as collateral for a loan by using the SALT token. Okay? SALT token allows crypto backed loans. You take that loan, you put it into a down payment on a home, and then get a mortgage. And then you have other cryptos that are tokens for businesses that you can rent out that will give you a rental income stream that you use to pay off your mortgage, and then you write your mortgage off on your taxes. Boom, free house. Come on now, guys. That's A, that's a plus level. The problem is, in order to execute something like that, you really have to understand the different moving parts that exist in this space. And I'm not saying that everyone can go out there and get like a quote-unquote free house tomorrow, but the way that uh, if you're looking into these things and the opportunities that are available, don't, shouldn't we all want to like get out of debt mm-hmm. and and, secu- and secure our financial future? But, I mean, to be fair, yeah. if all of this goes totally sideways and then it gets co-opted by the New World Order in some crazy like disclosure, uh, alien hack, great deception kind of stuff, and somebody you know, throws up an image of the beast and this guy's calling down fire and he's saying, you know, you better worship this or else it's toast and you got to get out of the economy. You know, I'm going to rip up my paper wallets, give them all my cryptos and tell them to go to hell. Like, you know, this isn't Revelation 13 yet, but if it is, then I'm out, you know, like, and that, and that's going to be a pretty clear, a pretty clear picture to see. So we're living in a time when the paradigm of, you know, the internet and credit cards and credit card chips and all of these things are like slowly conditioning us for what people see as the as the cashless society that's a necessary prerequisite to the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is by definition centralized. Cryptocurrencies mm. and the blockchain architecture in their current form are decentralized. And the only way that they would become centralized is if centralized institutions apply those same solutions but using different methodologies so that they could keep all the stuff they're doing secret. And so they're going to try to do it. No joke. You know, the the sovereign banks and the central banks are going to come out with it. But the question is, who are the people going to trust? Who are the people going to uh, going to follow? What are the people going to use? Are they going to use something that is decentralized and transparent and secure? Or are they going to trust the same governments that have been, you know, raping, pillaging, and plundering for, uh, for a century? And that's not... Uh, that's not hyperbolic. In fact, it's understating what governments and what institutions have done. Well, Stephen, if we see, yeah, go ahead. I just want to ask you this: the the threats. What are some of the threats that that could uh, mess up these cryptocurrencies? Could do you have um, manipulation in markets? You know, people throwing their money around to move markets one way or the other. Hacking. I've seen concerns about that. Also, where does the the IRS and and, and taxation fit into all this? Um, and, and let's start sure. with the so, security of the of, of the cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so really really tricky kind of space. There's a lot to unpack. We don't have tons of time, but I'll go over some uh, a few of the basics. The computational work that would be necessary to hack into the blockchain itself is so vast that nobody even tries to do it. What they do instead is they send out phishing scams or they hack into websites or exchanges, points of actual vulnerability, and essentially their private keys or their cryptocurrencies sending sending value to where to where it shouldn't be. And so 
the blockchain itself, because of the way that it's constructed, is like beyond uh, beyond secure, at least in its current form. Like there, there's speculation about you know what could happen at a certain level of quantum computing and other sorts of different power structures and the rest of it. I, it's that's that's speculation at the at the current moment, and so it's it's difficult to pin down with accuracy. But if we're talking about those kind of outcomes, we also have to think about a probability analysis. So one of the one of the issues would be if there's a total outage of electronics forever. You know, like I said, if there's one thing, one copy of the blockchain that survives, it can it can be rebuilt into into what uh, into what it was before. But in, in this case, I would come down more along the lines of where Patrick Wood uh, would come down that the people who are technocrats and pushing for this stuff, if they if they decide to go full blackout and, you know, either that or the sun just does it uh, or, or God does it himself, then, uh, you know, either that's the least of our worries or, you know, that would undo all of their uh, all of their systematic plans to enslave and control humanity. So, you know. The, the security risks are on the individual side. People making mistakes with their, um, with their cryptocurrencies, uh, leaving them in third party exchanges, sending them to the wrong place, to, that's user error, or, or, or get, or misplacing their private keys or giving away access to their wallets. So that's where the, that's where the issues are. And so companies are trying to, well, they're working feverishly on ways to address this to make it easier for people to interact with the space and easier for uh, for people to to have proper security. And so, you know, the risks from a regulatory standpoint, uh, in general, there's no way to outlaw the blockchain. And the SEC has said itself that they can't regulate cryptocurrencies directly. Now, there is this question of taxes and the rest of it. My view and what I'm going to do is to record all of my cryptocurrency transactions and report them for capital gains. That's the, that's the simple answer. I'm, okay. I'm erring on the side of caution rather than, yeah, particularly because I'm, you know, on your guys' show and it's not like you're doing this in the dark. Like, you know, you know who I am. People have, people have my identification information and so does the NSA. And so you could, you could sort that out. And so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going to report all of my crypto cryptocurrency transactions okay. and record the gains in capital gains taxes. All right, but but okay. Now, when you go on the dark web, for example, uh, and and you want to buy a kilo of cocaine, uh, don't laugh. All right, it's out there. It's on the dark web. All right. Uh, all right. Yeah. Uh, true. Uh, okay. Uh, the the currency or the the method of commerce is Bitcoin, correct? In in some cases, I'll tell you what the real mechanism of exchanging value in the drug trade globally. It's the U.S. dollar in cash. People people make the yep. make the argument that you know cryptocurrency for the first five, six, seven years of its existence was just people on the dark web like buying and selling drugs and stuff. And right. I I have to chuckle at that a little bit because in the first few years of Bitcoin as like the sole cryptocurrency and until others joined it, the entire value of the, of the space, you know, a handful of, handful of million dollars. It was extremely small. That's like one night in Mena, Arkansas. So they'd have to use the entire Bitcoin ecosystem to run even one of those exchanges. It doesn't add up. The math doesn't work. The first famous Bitcoin transaction was 10,000 Bitcoin for two pizzas or something like that. They're not doing big money drug deals using 
using Bitcoin. It's like, you know, maybe there's some small transactions for the anonymity, but, you know, better to just not do that in general. And it's certainly not preventing, you know, mainstream usage and adoption. You can, for instance, have a, have a cryptocurrency wallet and then use a service like BitPay or someone else who offers a crypto backed debit card. And then you can spend cryptocurrencies and use them for all of your transactions. And so, and it's only a matter of time before more and more uh, more and more retailers and outlets and merchants begin accepting it directly. Uh, and so there are various network effects that are kind of built in. So well, Okay, you know, I guess what I was going for, though, as you mentioned about the IRS, Bitcoin, it, there's a an level of anonymity with Bitcoin, right? Yeah, and there, there are other cryptocurrencies that prioritize, like, Bitcoin and the Bitcoin core developers have prioritized, you know, security of, of the protocol over everything else. And there are other currencies such as Monero that have prioritized anonymity over other things. So there's different, there's different ways to structure it and different current, uh, cryptocurrencies have different features. And, you know, I know we're getting closer to the top of the hour here. I don't want to wind it down just yet if you guys have another question for me, but Long story short, you know, we have to do our homework. We have to understand this. There is incredible power and responsibility here. But the the Bible says that the wealth of sinners is stored up for the righteous and that, you know, a, a just man um, stores up an inheritance for his children's children. And this is an incredible wealth transfer opportunity because the entire cryptocurrency space is $600 billion. It was 500 last week. But the entire space of equities, bonds, everything, currencies, we're talking about trillions and trillions and trillions and hundreds of trillions of dollars. So only 1% of that has to, has to come in in order for the appreciation that we've seen so far to be child's play, essentially. And so, you know, do I, am I expecting that at some point in the future? The answer would be yes, as there, as there gets a greater adoption. When Aaron Brickman was on with Steve Quayle talking about this, he was talking about the adoption cycle. And I can't tell you how many, you know, in the past month, I've had so many different conversations about this unsolicited people just, you know, coming up and asking me about it that, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that things are in a, if you think things are in a bubble now, then you'd number one have to know what the true value is or what the fair value is. And I don't think anybody can tell you, can tell you that because it would also depend on the dollar itself. But wait until 10% of the people in the world hold cryptos. You know, it's going to be, it's, uh, there are unbelievable opportunities, but you really have to do things, you really have to do things right, and you shouldn't prioritize any of this over things like your relationship with God, um, food, water, protection, medicine, your personal relationships, a community of like-minded believers, or even gold or silver. I take profits from cryptocurrencies and buy silver with it. I just... You know, I, I just talked to Steve Quayle a week and a half ago about uh, about this in terms of acquiring more physical silver. That's still like the bulk of my, uh, the core of my hard act. Rebalance it be just because the cryptocurrencies have appreciated so much. And so, you know, I'm not, it's not woe is me. I mean, that's a that's a great problem to have. I wish <laughs> everybody had that problem. You, you know, but, I, you know God, I, God bless you guys. If there's something I can do, I, you know, 
I'll, I'll, I'll walk out to Erie and walk you through the process. It's no, it's no problem. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You, you, I believe you explain this more, uh, more better. More better. <laughs> more better. <laughs> yeah, you did a great job. You did a, a fantastic job. I, I, and I mean that. Uh, any, I, any other questions? Let me know. I'd like, this is really important. So I'm happy to, happy to contribute however I can. God bless you guys. Right. Thank you so much. Thank Merry you. Christmas. Thank Merry you, Stephen. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And make sure you catch them on the objective. It's right up on Hagman Report. That's right. Shout out to Pastor Mike Spaulding. Absolutely. He'll be on next. Stephen Menking. We'll be right back after this. Don't go anywhere. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. You know, just, what, five days before Christmas 2017, and then, of course, 2018, right around the corner after that. I just want to show people, you know, we've got the greatest listening audience in the world, bar none. Let me tell you, every one of you out there who are listening, who are watching this, uh, we love you, and I mean that sincerely. Without you, we would be absolutely nothing, and that's so true, right? Now, let me show you this card. I got this. We got this card in the mail today. This is beautiful front card, and, and I'm, I'm picking one out of a number that we've gotten. But I, this one in particular, I'm going to pull this up. See, see how nice this um, this is. They put our pictures up here. I'm, I'm watching the monitor to see if I can put our pictures up here, and just a beautiful Christmas message right here. I'm blocking their last name, their first name, of course. Russ and Nancy, thank you so very much, Russ and Nancy, and so many others who have sent sent us notes and cards. And, I mean, you know, it, it brought all of us, really, this and so many others, all of us to tears. And, and the, we got some just beautiful handmade Christmas ornaments. Um, in fact, I, 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 we don't have them here because of their fragile, you know, their fragile. So I didn't want to, or at least I thought they were. I, I didn't want to bring them to the studio. Um, it, it's just, it, it's just an amazing thing, and it makes, you know, it, I can't describe it. I can tell you that that our hearts are. Uh, I mean, we're very moved by by everyone we hear from, and I, we we got. Um, we got a long letter uh, from someone who was listening a long time, and you know, so, so many. I wish we could just. I wish we had the time to sit down and answer every single correspondence that we got. We don't have the staff for that, but we read everything. Everything we read, and uh, we just want to say thank you. I, I don't know what else to say except thank you. Is there? I, you guys are the best, and, and uh, you know, I, I look at I look at this, and I think, you know, I I have that the letters W O W in my office, and I and I look at them all the time, and and I look at the the amount of time that went into make the, the those letters with the with the calligraphy, if you will, the script, the um, uh, the, the writing. Within the letters, and then of course, the oil paint, the painting, the painted picture of King, our dog, uh, from Nancy. Uh, 
Oh, my goodness. And, and pens made from Jerusalem wood. Um, and you know who you are. Everything else. Uh, just from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Uh, you know, you got to turn your mic yep, on. Yep, there we go. No, absolutely. We we could not do this without you. Right. And uh, that it just means so much to us, and, and we thank you. Um, our guest this hour is Pastor Mike Spaulding. Now, in on Wednesdays in Hour 3, usually Pastor Langford is our guest, but he is going to be traveling and spending some time uh, with his family for the holidays for the next three weeks. So what John did is he just plugged three different pastors into those time slots. And this week we have Pastor Mike Spaulding. Next week we have Pastor Paul Begley. Then on January 3rd we have Pastor John Howler. And Pastor Mike Spaulding is with us now. And uh, Pastor Spaulding, we got you connected, but we don't see your video. you got to turn the video on. hear me do you have audio there we go now we have audio can you hear me i can hear you great all right okay, okay you're gonna have to yeah talk up just a little bit sir okay or yeah you're you're coming through like a muffled uh how's that how about now sir? uh just keep going we'll, we'll try to fix it on our end try to amplify you up on our end okay well welcome back good to the, yeah good evening pastor spaulding it's great to have you back well, thank you very much for the invite. I appreciate it, and it's always a, a great privilege and blessing for me to join you guys. And it's always great to have you. Pastor Mike Spaulding's website is pastordrmikespaulding.com, as well as soaringeagleradio.com. And if you go into the show description on hagmanreport.com, all the links are there. Where do you want to start tonight, Pastor? Well, I'm thinking about uh, being on tonight, Joe and Doug, and, and uh, one one phrase, one one uh, passage of scripture uh, keeps coming back to my mind and that is uh, Luke chapter 19 uh, where Jesus is teaching the parable uh, about the minas to his servant and, and the end of it, the conclusion of it, he, he makes a statement that we are to occupy until he returns and uh, if, if we would launch from there, if if uh, more pastors, more ministry leaders would understand uh, the meaning and the significance of what the Lord Jesus was talking about there, occupy until I return, uh, I think America would be in a much better place. Uh, I know the church would be much stronger, and I know individual Christians would be better prepared to meet the challenges that we see out there today, many of which... Uh, Joe, you and you and your dad talk about on a daily basis. Uh, in in my opinion, the church is sorely lacking in warriors who will uh, stand up and speak the truth and fight to the bitter end. That seems to be somewhat um, well. It's it's just unsavory to a vast majority of Christians who, who think that it is their, their right as a Christian and as an American uh, to sit back and to participate in their holy huddles every Sunday and believe that that has fulfilled the requirement that the Lord spoke about here in Luke chapter 19 of occupying until I come. And I've got to tell you, that is a, 
that is very weak, very lame, and might I also say unbiblical and unchristlike understanding of what that passage actually says. Pastor Mike, I, I don't know what's what's going on with the the audio. Uh, we heard everything that you just said, but there's like this uh, loud white noise in the background that's even almost louder than than you're talking. Are we? Can we? Can we reconnect via a landline? Because we're not going to be able to to do the interview like this. The sound quality is terrible for whatever reason. I don't know what why that is. Or perhaps just start reconnecting or, or moving around. Yeah. Or, I don't know. Put some foil yeah. around your earbuds, or <laughs> yeah. How about if uh, um, I, I plug in? I've got a mixer here. I can plug into that and uh, and and use a microphone. We'll see if that'll work. Yeah, because yeah, no, that static, would be, that'd, that'd be great. That static is is louder than your voice, pretty much. So and, and oh then, yeah, that's what. what we'll do is we'll sing until you get that ready. We'll sing Christmas <laughs> carols. Now, see, you're coming in better now. Really? Yeah. But the static's still there. Yeah, the static is still there. But yeah, if you can, if you can, you know, make the necessary hookups, we'd really appreciate that. That because we don't want to miss a word that you say. And okay. uh, we're going to sing "Oh Holy Night." Holy. Ready? Okay. <laughs> oh Holy. Uh, I don't know. Um, something just happened there. Yeah, we just lost them or something. But oh, we got them. Okay, we just keep. Eric says. Eric's telling. Would you just shut up and just keep going? Just go. That's Eric. That's our, Eric. Our guest from last hour, Stephen Menking, uh, actually on, on Pastor Mike Spaulding's website, SoaringEagleRadio.com, the last podcast that is posted has Stephen Menking as the guest, and they're talking about the pressing onward in the power of Jesus Christ. So I know we already got a few emails. He's, he's got a great radio show. Pastor yeah. Mike Spaulding does. And we got a few emails of, of I think, uh, first-time listeners of Stephen Menking uh, just in, in the last few minutes. So after the show... Or now, go to SoaringEagleRadio.com and bookmark this and uh, and take a listen to it when, when you get a chance. All right, let's try to do this again. Okay, how's the audio now? Much uh, better. No, 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 it's whatever you did. Just don't move and keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I try to get by with just plugging in my earbuds to my phone, and sometimes that doesn't work too well. So so anyway, uh, Luke, Luke chapter 19, guys. Uh did you hear all of that? Was, was that audible for our listeners? Yes. Yes. But you might want to... Okay. The, yeah. We can just move forward. Well, let me just let me just share part of what it says. Uh, Luke chapter 19. Um, the words of Jesus. As they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy until I come. Now, that's the first, that's verses 11 through 13 of chapter 19. And, of course, we know the parable um, that the, the nobleman went off. Well, that was the Lord Jesus. He ascended back into heaven. He was telling a parable to his disciples about their responsibility when he was gone. And, of course, we know what that is from the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, that we're to go into all the nations and we're to preach and teach and baptize, make disciples. We're to tell them everything. So by extension, that's the word of God. We're to go into all the nations. And, but let me say this. It starts right where you live. Some people think that they're just going to jump into this uh, to this ministry and, 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 and they look at it as, as some kind of uh, uh, vocation 
I'm always concerned when people look at ministry as well. That that that'd be a good job. I think that I'll just try that on. But listen, that's a that's a train wreck waiting to happen. If you're not called to the ministry, if the Holy Spirit is not anointing, empowering, and leading into the ministry, then friend, you've got no business being in it because not only are you going to uh, hurt yourself, but you're going to hurt a lot of other people. So that's some free advice right there. But what Jesus is saying here is that we have a responsibility as his followers, as disciples, to occupy the territory where we are until he returns. Now, there seems to be some confusion today, uh, Doug and Joe, about what that actually means, uh, occupy until I come. Uh, as I as I said earlier, a few minutes ago, a lot of people think they've fulfilled that obligation by attending church on Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever day they they happen to participate in their corporate worship. They think they've fulfilled that responsibility, and I'm here to say that they have not. Occupy till I come means this. We are to be doers of all of the things that Jesus commanded us to be doing. Now, it starts with the individual, of course, and that means that we are to live righteously and holy lives. We are to do that uh, before our families, before our employers, uh, before citizens of the city that we live in, but it even encompasses much more than that, Doug and Joe. It means that we are to press hard into the place where we live, we make our homes. We are to press hard the issue of righteousness and holiness. Now, you can imagine that's going to offend some people immediately. Good. Because they can't, they can't, yes, exactly, yeah, that is a good thing. Now, Unfortunately, let me take a drink of water here. No, okay, and while you're drinking that water, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, we're to live righteously and kick some kick some rear end. That, yes, and I would agree with that, Doug. And the reason that the church is so anemic and weak today is because a lot of Christians won't do that. In fact, they think it's antithetical to uh, being a Christian is that we're not to do that. And I'm here to tell you that... The Lord tells us that we are to, to armor up. We're to dress every day with the armor, and there's a reason for that, because we're going to be in a war. Every day we're in a war. The enemy's coming against us. Uh, we know that, that he rules this world right now. Now, the day's coming when that's going to come to an end. But until that time, we're to press forward in righteousness and holiness. And what that means is that people are going to hate you. Now, I think it's... Uh, Coach Dave is fond of saying that that truth sounds like hate to those that hate the truth. Well, that's exactly the days that we live in. You guys, I mean, I'm not, I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys know this already. Uh, you get a lot of hate thrown your way for simply speaking the truth, don't you? All the hey, time. man, it's if, part of the territory. If hate, if hate was, if every hate mail was a dollar, we'd be millionaires right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well. I just think that uh, pastors need to be uh, standing in front of their congregations uh, whatever day they meet and every time they meet, and they need to remind them what their obligation is to the Lord Jesus. This country right now, we're in a very critical place in our nation's history. Uh, some would even say we're, we're very, very close to a to a tipping point. Part of the reason for that is that evil has has made a, a, a mad dash. They see or believe they see the finish line 
uh, in the near distance. And they think if they press hard, and I, I think that's what's going on, this is nothing more than manifested spiritual warfare, uh, Doug and Joe, and the, 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 the legions of hell have inspired so many zombie, uh, brain-dead Americans to go along with this evil agenda, and we don't have to name names, we already know all of the names, uh, to go along with these evil... I just can't believe some of the headlines that I see day upon day upon day, and uh, it's it's hard to get shocked or surprised anymore uh, at the headlines that I read. Um, but people are just going along with this evil agenda and thinking that it's right, and the church, for the most part, the church is silent. I think that needs to come to an end, and it needs to come to an end immediately. Pastors need to stand up and start speaking the truth. Does that mean that you're going to have folks that are going to leave the the uh, fellowship? Absolutely it will. Does it mean that uh, they're going to take their checkbooks with Yeah, absolutely it will. But guess what? It's time for the church to become a lean, mean fighting machine again, just like it was when it was birthed. There were remarkable things that happened through the believers when the church was born. And I think we need to see that same kind of earth-shaking revelation and manifestation of the power of God today. I think that's our only hope, Doug and Joe, is well, if we do that. You know, i, I got to tell you something, okay? Here's what I believe. I believe that we we got to address... The sin of killing babies. Get abortion. We have to, we have to say, you know what? This is not allowed here. That's number one. Number two, homosexuality. No, no. It, it you're not born a, a homo. Okay. I'm sorry. It's a behavioral problem. So that's not going to be tolerated. The problem in America is we tolerate too much. Enough of the yes. tolerance and let's become intolerant. And, and the people who don't like it, hey, I'm sorry. You want to hate hate on me? Go ahead. I can take it. I got thick skin. But here here's the problem, or or here's here's the the bottom line. As far as I'm concerned, okay, uh, I'm going to be judged for my words and my works. Um, uh, and, I, and I look, I know that's a problem by that statement. But bottom line is this: I'm going to live righteously henceforth, and you know. The, but I, I've also have to speak out, like you just said. Otherwise, I, I'm not occupying. I'm not doing my job. I think that's what you're yeah. trying to say, right? Yeah, that, okay. that's exactly. Right. That's exactly. Yeah, that's that's it, Doug. Right okay. there. Thank you. Go ahead, sir. I yeah. didn't mean to take your time. I'm sorry. Well, Pastor Mike, no, no, before no, you no. continue, I, I want to jump yeah. in here. You you talk about a, yeah. a change that needs to happen in the church, um, and Dad, I agree with what you say. We need to you know speak out against these things like abortion and whatnot. But this is what we've been doing for so long now, and nothing changes. What would it? I mean. To, to get these churches to actually change and, and to become more powerful and, and, and more righteous, something's going to have to happen. Things are, are getting worse and worse in the church. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. what can we do? What needs to happen to, to spark the momentum in the right direction? Yeah. Well, one of the things that needs to happen, uh, Joe, is that believers who understand the times in which we live in they need to start banding together. Now, what that's going to require is that they leave the dead churches that they're in. Now, I may be speaking to a great number of people out there that attend a church, they, they, they're faithful attendees, but they know in their hearts, they know in their minds, they've talked it over with their spouse, with their family, 
They go there because it's really nothing more than an opportunity to connect with their friends. It's a place where they're comfortable. They've been there for a lot of years. Yeah, they're not really hearing the Word of God taught. They're not challenged in their in their spiritual walks. They're going there out of convenience. If that's you, if you're listening to Doug and Joe and I tonight, and I've just nailed you, then let me encourage you to get out of that place. Leave that place, because it has become. If it's not preaching righteousness and holiness, and it's not encouraging you to take it to the streets, to become active in opposing all of these national sins, all of these evil manifestations in our nation today, if it's not actively encouraging you to do that, you need to leave that place because that church is already dead. And 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 believers, you need to congregate together. It may mean in a good a good many instances that you're going to start a different fellowship. But guess what? You're going to be starting over with good seed. You're going to be starting over with with fire breathing, spirit filled believers who understand the days in which we live and the things that need to be done. There are people out there that are happy to train believers in activism. Uh, Coach Dave is on your show all the time, guys. He he would be happy to do that. Matt Truella is is another one that's happy to train believers in how to get actively involved in confronting uh, our, our tyrants that are that are in our local governments. You need to start there with with the local magistrate. Um, so, so that'd be the first place to start. Get out of these dead churches and start congregating together. Pull your families out of there. Pull your children out of there. And, and start congregating together with like-minded believers. You'll be amazed at what might happen if more believers would do that. If they would pull their resources out of these dead churches, these mega churches, people walk in there and, and you may have your, your small group and your, your small inner circle of friends, but 90% of the people there wouldn't know you if they saw you on the street. Let me tell you something. That's not community life. That's not fellowship in the spirit. The church was never meant to be that. So that's a good place to start, Joe. Yeah, I mean, we we have to, something has to change because we can't continue to only be do lip service or uh, we have to have it in our actions too. And whether uh, that's stepping out of your comfort zone and doing things that, you know, you you might never have done before, well, so be it. Something has to to be done differently. Otherwise, it's just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And if that means people who are, you know, on fire for Jesus and just attend a church regularly to step out and, and get into a leadership role and, and pursue starting their own church or starting with Bible studies, things like that, it has to be done. But just to continue to, and to continue to just complain about uh, what's not changing in the church, expecting it to change from our complaining is not going to work. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then our message needs to change. That's the second thing that needs to change. And the reason that I say that, Doug and Joe, is because the gospel has gotten so convoluted today, it has become a, a, a poor, poor, harmless substitute. It has no power. It has no teeth. It's not going to convert anybody. It, it's all about making people feel better and, and, and trying to present uh, some kind of pseudo-Jesus that doesn't offend anybody. Uh, I've got news for folks, and I was just... Uh, I'm, I'm teaching through uh, Mark's gospel on Sunday mornings now. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we made it through uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 1 through 20. 
which is the parable of the sower and the seeds. And, uh, and, and there are two major points in that parable. And uh, most people can identify point number one, uh, which is evangelism. It's, it's t- Jesus is talking about evangelism, and he's talking about it within the context of the responses that you're likely to receive from people when you share the gospel. But the other point is not so easily identified, and, and I even uh, pause for a few seconds but when I ask people, do you know what the second point of the parable of the sower and the seeds is? And there were one or two that could identify it, but most people could not. And here's the point, and I apologize, but I'm getting a tickle in my throat. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. The other point is that there is uh, judgment, judgments in that parable of the sower and the seeds. And so <clears throat> let me just call uh, your listeners' attention to this. And this is in Mark uh, chapter 4. May I, may I read that? Absolutely. So starting starting in uh, in verse one of, of chapter four, Mark writes, "He Jesus began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teaching, "Listen to this, behold." The sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, get everything in parables." So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Now, Doug and Joe, because Jesus ends with a, with a quotation from the prophet Isaiah just before he goes and explains the meaning, the symbolism, and the parable. But it's significant that he said that to you, I'll give understanding. But to those who are outside the kingdom, they get everything in parables. So that way, when they hear, they're not going to understand. When they see, they won't get it. Now, that's significant, and that speaks about judgment. Within the context of what uh, Isaiah said there uh, in, in his prophecy, the Lord was declaring to Israel that their judgment was certain because they had hardened their hearts to him and they had reached the point of no return. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1 when he says that, that God will turn people over. Three times he says that. He will turn them over uh, into their sinful ways. Their judgment is concerned or is confirmed. And so here's the point. Here's why I'm bringing this up, Doug and Joe. 
Because our gospel message, if it's to be effective, it needs to be biblical. Now, that may sound like a duh statement, but I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone share what they believe to be the gospel, and it actually was no such thing. It was really uh, a bargaining episode, trying to bargain with people. Well, please come to Jesus, because he'll make your life so much happier. Uh, please come to Jesus and, and try him out. Now, I've told people before, guys, what are you going to do if you use that approach? Jesus will, will make you happy. Jesus will give you a good life. Jesus will do this. He'll do that. What are you going to do when somebody says, hey, I like my life the way it is, but thanks anyway? See, here's, here's, here's what we need to be telling people. Jesus is coming again. He came the first time with the offer of salvation. It's still going out today. The offer of salvation is going out globally today. To every nation, every tribe, every tongue, as the scripture says. But the day is coming when Jesus is coming again as a judge. Now, you have a choice. God offers salvation to all people. And you have a choice to accept that free gift that God gives to people on the basis of faith to repent of your sins and be forgiven to receive God's mercy. You have that choice. But if you refuse it, be assured that hell's gates are waiting to swallow you up. Judgment is coming for those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the second thing, Joe and Doug, that, that, that we need to do differently. We need to get back to the gospel. Now, some people will find that offensive, and, and I say, that's too bad. It is the biblical gospel that Jesus is coming again. If you reject him, he will reject you before the Father. Absolutely. And you know, the, the comment about uh, the gospel being offensive, you know, I I could find the Quran offensive. I don't ask that, you know, they stop reading it or, or stop teaching it as, as their own, you know, the way that it was uh, given to them or created or whatever. But, I mean, who cares what other people think? If we're going to destroy ourselves if we're worried about how other people perceive the Christian religion. And it doesn't matter what kind of media attacks or lies or spin they try to put on it. And they already do that anyway. And the church yeah. has done everything they can to bend over backwards to, you know, this political correctness movement. And it doesn't seem to matter. You know, they're still demonized in the news. Well, it, so why not earn that, yeah. uh, you know, demonization, at least to, to stick to what with what Jesus and the Bible said? I mean, it's amazing to me that anybody who's a Christian is worried about how a non-Christian perceives the Word of God. But 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 bring it to even current events, because today, for example, the House voted to approve the Republican tax bill. Okay, now, you might think this doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about, but just hang on a minute. Um, now, according to Think Progress, enough said there, right? Yep. Um, okay, uh, things got really weird with Donald Trump because he asked. He, there was a cabinet meeting, and uh, he, he, according to Think Progress, he, uh, Donald Trump celebrated the passage of this tax cut bill with a cabinet meeting that felt more like a gathering of the cult of Trump. Why? Because <laughs> after Donald Trump said, "Hey, this bill passed. You know, congratulations, job well done," he went to Ben Carson and said, "Please say a prayer." And maybe a good solid prayer, and they'll be honest, Ben, is that possible, referring to the media. Of course, that was tongue-in-cheek, but the, the fact that 
prayer was invoked at this cabinet meeting just put people on, uh, just, it, it made heads explode. Now, the reason I brought that up is because I think, it, in, a, in a sense, maybe at its periphery, this to me is the action. I, I mean, say what you will, invoking prayer at a cabinet meeting, I, 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 that to me is action. No, it's great to see, and, and I think Pastor Mike... And the reaction to that is crazy, but go ahead. And the, the, the reaction to that is what Pastor Mike said at the very beginning of the interview, that what is behind this this media and, and craziness in our society is spiritual darkness that is that is at the core driving it. And, yeah, I mean, that it's so obvious to, to people who are actually paying attention to what the media says and what they're uh, lashing out against, and... It doesn't matter how they frame it, you know, it, it's it's apparent to anybody who has discernment that this is, because it, it's so far widespread, it, it has to be spiritual in its roots. Um, these people don't all get up in the morning and read from the same piece of paper about what makes them angry. This is something much deeper. Yeah, yeah, and you could, <laughs> what you just said there, Joe, and, and Doug, you're, you're right, that, that uh, does bear on the points that we're talking about here. Um but what you just said there, Joe, uh, it, it's as if uh, you were with me tonight uh, before came on the air with you guys uh, Wednesday night. So it's uh, it's it's prayer night. You know, we meet at the church and spend an hour praying for the needs of other people, praying for our nations, uh, for our nation, uh, and and part of the conversation toward the end of the, the time that we spent together was on this very subject. And, and I pointed out to people, uh, because people are, people are very interested in, uh, in what's going on in our nation, but they're confused because, uh, what they're hearing, what they're seeing, it, it just seems to be that something is off. And, and, and I told people, I said, well, here's why. The Spirit of God within you uh, is a barometer and it goes off, an alarm goes off when uh, something is not right when you know that, that there are lies and deception and all this kind of thing. Uh, we were talking and I said, you know, here is the evidence of a mass demonic oppression and blindness that is settled upon a, a, a large segment of America's population. Here is the proof. Islam. The left, progressives, Marxists, whatever you want to call them, they're all part of the demonic zombie army, as I refer to them. They are blind, blind, willingly blind, blind through ignorance, indifference to the the Islamic evil that is spreading all over the world, uh, that has come to the shores of America, and at the same time, with the other hand or the other side of their mouth, they will castigate, revile, denigrate. They will marginalize Christians. They will cheer any new law that seems to suppress a Christian's right to religious liberty, freedom of speech. That is proof enough for anybody that has eyes to see and ears to hear that there is a demonic oppression that is settled upon this nation. Uh, you can say that uh, they're doing a lot of their evil, satanic work in Washington, D.C. Uh, our, our political system 
is a mess and has been for a long, long time. Now, that's not to say that there aren't believers there in Washington. I, I know that there are. They're doing the best that they can, but they are they are greatly outnumbered. And I don't wonder, Doug and Joe, if the writing is on the wall for America. And 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 I don't mean to sound uh, pessimistic, but I do know that a tipping point is coming. And let me say this to believers. Those that are listening to us tonight in this conversation, and you happen to be a believer in Yeshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you this. You need to get ready. You need to get prepared, uh, both spiritually, physically, emotionally. You need to get prepared materially. Uh, you need to have things ready because uh, when it hits the fan, and I believe that's the plan, and, and I hope that I'm not uh, upsetting any of your listeners, uh, Doug and Joe. Uh, but I think it is the plan of the Luciferians that are in that are in control and in charge to bring about an open conflict in, in our nation. Uh, Obama spent eight years laying the foundation for that. Every opportunity that he had, he poked Christians in the face and the eye, uh, did everything in his power to raise up and glorify Islam. And yet, a good segment of America and even the church said, oh, he is a Christian. He is a Luciferian first and foremost, and he is a, 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 a Marxist, uh, if we could label him uh, uh, politically or ideologically, he is a Marxist and he hates America. The fact that so many Americans voted for him for two terms is just baffling to me. But those are all proofs and evidences of, of what's happening in America. The church, and I'm talking about the real church, the born-again, the blood-bought, spirit-filled church, not the visible church that meets together and, and has their happy, clappy times on Sunday and think that they're all good. I'm talking about the real spirit-filled people that are not afraid to speak the truth and are standing up and opposing evil. It's time for us to come together, to get organized, and to start getting active in confronting, starting locally, confronting this evil where it exists. Now, there's going to be pushback, and let me say this, guys. You very well may have to pay a price. You very well may have to pay a price. But if the Lord leads you into this battle, and he is not only going to sustain you, but he's going to provide for you whatever the outcome might be. We need to be able to look evil in the eye and not blink. That's where we're at, Doug and Joe, today in America. That's where we're at. Yeah, and that, that might be uh, you know uncomfortable to think about for a lot of, of Christians or people in general, but uh, you know this is what we're, we're told is how it's going to play out in, in Scripture. And Stephen Benking last hour talked about you know the the parts of scripture where it it mentions you know to be happy and be joyful in tribulation and that's a mindset that is obviously uh does not come naturally that you have to train your mind to but you know we are in a time where things are are changing and they're getting crazy and absolutely you see as you said the writing is on the wall it seems as though you know we're 5 years away one different presidential uh or one one different president away from you know some actual uh, legal crackdown on christianity 
to the point where it could be, you know, labeled as, as hate speech or uh, it, who knows all the possibilities that are out there. We know that it will continue to get worse, and the writing is already on the wall. We see the hatred that just uh, atheists, regular people, uh, especially in the media, have for Christians and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the lies that they, they constantly spew. And so specifically what you pointed out, the bending over backwards and the love for Islam and the promotion of Islam. And the defend defending of Islam. I mean, it's so bad to, to the point where anytime there's an, a terror attack, and it's pointed out that you know it was a, a Muslim person who committed the attack, that you are now uh, you know xenophobic or, or racist because you're you're pointing that out, and it's just it's mind-boggling. So I can see uh, easily how this is going to progress into uh, very bad situations for Christians in the near future. Yeah, and that that uh, and you're right. That does upset people when you tell them that, um, because they don't like to think in those terms that it's possible that uh, that we could see that in America. But let me just remind uh, our listeners, Doug and Joe. Um, I remember a time when when thinking about some of the things that are actually happening today, I would have said that is some kind of dystopic sci-fi craziness. I mean, there's no way that America could ever become that. But we've had some visionaries over the years, and they've wrote about it. I think about Orwell a lot. I mean, he was spot on. Uh, Huxley was spot on, although he, he was uh, he was applauding uh, uh, what we see today. Huxley was, was, was definitely a, a statist, a, a technocrat, uh, envisioned this this totalitarian technocracy that we see being folks that are listening this this two party system that's been foisted upon us there's a reason why uh, over the last uh, 7500 years where we've we've the citizens of America have tried to create a third party and it's never gotten off the ground well there's a reason for that because they only want two political parties. And uh, the R's and the D's, there really isn't any difference. They're all serving the same master. They're all after the same goals. It's just a matter of the strategy and the methodologies to get us where they want us to be. And that The evidence is out there for anybody that's willing to read it, to study it, research it, the evidence is out there. We've got a lot of people talking about this. Doug and Joe, you, many of them are your guests. So, again, I'm I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm hoping that there'll be some Christians that are listening to this now or will listen to it once it's posted, uh, and, and they'll understand, maybe for the first time, exactly what's going on in our nation and what needs to happen. We can't continue to just meet on Sundays and sing a couple of songs and hear a hear a, a cotton candy sermonette uh, from, a, from a, a teacher or a pastor that's more concerned about maintaining his livelihood than he is about uh, preparing the sheep for the battle that's coming. We can't keep doing this or, or we're in serious, serious trouble, guys. Just as there is a, an army on the left forming, there's an army on the right of Christians and conservatives and Christian conservatives and I'm going to tell you, it's going to get ugly. And people who don't who don't want to believe that, then fine, don't believe it. Then be surprised. But I'm going to tell you right now, we are, as you said, we're we're headed for a tipping point, and that tipping point could be any time in the event on the event horizon. And what causes that tipping point? I don't know. 
but anyone who can't see this to me you're not looking or you're you've been deluded you've been blinded by your own delusions yes you know so and and we and we cannot be um meek to the extent that we're uh, certainly we can't be naive and we we can't be timid in our in our application of the word or our actions and and what we do and if we are what good are we i mean uh, seriously so and, and you know um Pastor, uh, many people will say, "Well, what can I do? What, what can I do? I, I, you know." And by the way, this—I love this. I love this email I get. You guys don't do nothing. You guys don't do nothing. All you guys do is talk. Blah 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 blah. Okay. 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 So, you know, before I blood starts coming out. Um, <laughs> What, what do you what, and I'm being honest when I ask this question um how do you answer something like that and, and what would you do or rec- even recommend and, and now I'm, I'm I'm actually showing um kindness to, to people who say that uh what would you recommend they do or what can we do collectively or individually I should say and collectively to really fight this fight or to be prepared to fight or or what do we need to do now because it's just a matter of time before this thing just goes and everything goes south and, and, and it's going to be ugly. So what should we be doing right now? Yeah. Well, the first thing that folks need to be doing, Doug, is to make sure that they are spiritually right. Make sure that they're spiritually right. They better press in hard to Jesus. If they're living a, a, a double life, if they're if they're putting on the happy face uh, when it needs to be put on, but they're living like a uh, living like the world uh, when it's convenient and nobody's watching, then you better stop that stuff. You cannot be a double-minded person and enter into the kingdom of God. You need to press into Jesus, so you need to get your life right first. You need to be spiritually right first. If you've never made a profession of faith in Christ, you need to do that. You need to place your your faith in Christ's finished work his death and resurrection for you you need to receive that repent of your sins and receive Christ by faith and be reconciled to the father so that's the first place to start the second thing is and, and while you were uh, asking that question Doug you know a thought occurred to me we don't have this currently um, but I think we need to have some kind of central uh, central I'm not even sure what we would call it. Uh, clearinghouse comes to mind, but some kind of central point of contact, a single point of contact maybe, for helping people to find uh, churches that are being faithful to proclaim the gospel and that are active in their communities. Because there are many out there that are. They're just not recognized. They're, they're in, 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 in most cases, they're, they're smaller uh, congregations, smaller fellowships, um, you know, they don't have a, uh, all the frills and the bells and the whistles that some of the larger churches have, but that's a good thing. They're, they're lean, they're, their budgets are geared towards activism, um, they're geared towards uh, working in the community, they're geared towards uh, prisons, jails, bringing the gospel to them. They're geared towards mobilizing people 
when there is a need to demonstrate to to share the gospel with with young ladies going into abortion clinics, uh, they're there to to mobilize and and, and stand in and protest against a lot of the evils that we see out there. There are churches, small churches, again, that are doing this. So uh, I think the first point is perhaps we need to have a a single point of contact, uh, a clearinghouse of information of churches and pastors that are being faithful to that call. So that might be the first thing uh, that we should be doing, Doug, is, is, is connecting people uh, with people who can help them get involved in, in, in many of these activities that we've been talking about and encouraging people uh, to get involved in. That might be the first thing. All right. And, and that's, to me, that's a good, that, that's good. And I, I think we need, we need an army of these churches and, and we need to get out of, um, we need to get out of the four walls. And Absolutely. Get, get in the community. And, and, yeah, go ahead. I mean, yes. just, uh, start simple. You know, one hour, once a month, you know, very basic, uh, just to get in the habit of, of doing these things. Um, and look for places where you can in, inject yourself and volunteer, whether it's, you know, at, at, uh, soup kitchens or food banks or at Goodwill. I mean, there's so many ways of that and get out into the world of or, or to even object and I'm sorry look we have to go on the offensive too to object in front of these murdering uh, slaughterhouses known as Planned Parenthood that might be uncomfortable or you've got to stand in front of a target that's got that's got a you know me too bathroom or whatever it is or those you know mm-hmm. um, male female uh, other bathrooms like Coach Dave Dobmeyer did and he made a difference I mean he, he to, mm-hmm. Trust me, he made a huge difference with that, and he's making a huge difference on the ground uh, with abortion, uh, these ki- the killing mills of, of weird of children. So, weird fact that I saw today in yeah. an article, 32 Planned Parenthood uh, facilities closed in the U.S. in 2017. Good for whatever that's worth. No but, kidding. That's yeah, great. So we're winning. That's great. We're, we're winning that battle, but we need even to do even more than that. We need to drive this, this whole criminal cabal of of uh, syndicated murder the hell out of the United States and, and chase it to the gates of hell and, and not relent until it's gone. You know, uh, again, I don't know, for whatever reason, it's heavy on my heart. This is not health care. This is not a choice. It's a child, right. for, the, for for crying out loud. You know, what are these people thinking? And, and anyone who uh, has a differing opinion on that, to me, um, well, you know, we have, well, we can't let that stand. That's all. Yeah, that's right. And uh, there is no differing opinion on this, uh, Doug. It isn't being compassionate, loving, understanding to allow the murder of unborn children to continue to go on. I, I've, I've made this statement before many times. Uh, abortion is nothing more than the the Old Testament uh child sacrifice to the Canaanite gods, to the demonic gods, Moloch and, and Baal. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It's just going on today, but now we use euphemisms to try and cover it and soothe people's consciences. There's enough research, there's enough personal testimony from women who have undergone abortions and, and, and say 
that. They have dealt with, with the trauma of that decision for years. Now, you know that we're winning this fight when Planned Parenthood has to try and enlist celebrities and, and other brain-dead women to somehow celebrate their abortion. Mm-hmm. Nobody's nobody's buying that, Doug and Joe. Nobody's buying that, that you're celebrating this because the, the research is already in. For you to celebrate the murder of your unborn child means that you're you're already an instrument, a tool of a Lucifer. You're already sold out to the devil. I mean, it just defies explanation how uh, women could be convinced in order to prop up this murder industry uh, to try and convince people that it's a good thing to abort children. It's just simply demonic. Then they celebrate it, just like you said. And, you know, they have, uh, I just read a, a piece about a, the WNBA Seattle team who was promoting Planned Parenthood, and you see these politicians and women in Hollywood. Even on Twitter, yeah, there was a few actresses a few weeks ago who came out and pledged, you know, to donate X amount of dollars to Planned Parenthood and urged others to do the same. And then they, they package it as a, a women's reproductive health rights, and if you are against abortion, well, you are against women getting health care, so you know you're a, a racist, and and that's they try to scare people and they try to invoke that emotion. Yeah. And and the other yeah. the other half of this too is when you have the Center for Medical Progress going in undercover and showing what what is really taking place. Mm-hmm. Some Christians don't take issue with the murder with the with the investigative fruits. They take issue with the fact that you've got people going in and um, you, you know under a pretext undercover and oh that's not god representing them so you know that's not godlike <laughs> well they can you know i'm sorry you know i'm about ready to get really crass right now but and then they hold themselves out as some sort of better christian than than anyone else well to well, me that's insane that is insane doug and i would remind those knuckleheads that two men by the name of joshua and caleb were rewarded for their faithfulness as what Spies, spies, hello. They went into the enemy territory, spied it out, and came back with a report of the truth of what was going on. What do you mean you're going to oppose uh, somebody going undercover? That's, that's the craziest thing that a Christian would, would stand against that. But then we live in a time, Doug and Joe, when so many Christians have such convoluted thinking. They, they, it just frustrates me sometimes to to well, see what's happening. It doesn't it's, make it's sense. It's very frustrating. It doesn't make sense. You're you're absolutely right. But here's what I do know. We win. Christ is coming back. And until that day when he does come back, we're going to occupy. You know, I can't drag people into a, a state or a, a, a a mind of obedience. I can't force people to be obedient to the Lord. But what I can do is I can be obedient to the Lord and I can challenge people to follow me as I follow Christ. And if you have any question about whether or not we're being obedient to Christ, then check the scripture. We are going to be faithful what the scripture tells us to do. And in what we've been talking about tonight, that's occupied till I come. That's pressing forward in righteousness and holiness. That's letting that shine in the communities in which we live. That's challenging evil wherever we find it. It's not being muzzled. It's not being ashamed or guilted 
or even frightened, fearful of somebody coming against us because we're going to stand up for truth. Men, get a backbone and be men. If you're going to be a Christian man, then you need to put your armor on and stand up on the front battle lines and stand strong against the strategies of the enemy. And we've been talking about all those strategies uh, tonight on this show, Doug and Joe. Absolutely. And we've been getting, I, I've, we've gotten probably two, three dozen emails just since you've been on saying, you know, you're right on the money. Great, great, uh, guest. Give a shout out to your, as we're approaching the end of the hour, uh, give a shout out to your program, your, how you can, all, all of your platforms, if you don't mind. No, thank, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, soaringeagleradio.com is, is the, uh, radio show that I do. There's, uh, Stephen Minking. James Walton there, he, he wrote a great book. Uh, he'd be a good guest for you. Community, community. He, he gives some real good pointers about how communities can organize and really push out a government oversight. Start. That would be good. There's, uh, <laughs> there's Melissa. She was, she was a great, great uh, guest. You've had her on many times, of course. Yeah, she, she was so, in the studio here. Actually, I gotta tell you, uh, Pastor Spalding, she was in the studio and uh, her work on the Pedophilia yes. issues are, are second to, to none. And um, yes. the, thank you. Go ahead, sir. Sorry. Yeah. And I just want to point out too. There on the right, uh, under blog, there you see those uh, the set of wings there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> just to show you or tell you where I'm coming from. That's good friends of mine out in Idaho. They make uh, custom uh, custom holder holsters, concealed carry holsters. And uh, mag carriers, and so you know, that just shows you what I think about uh, our Second Amendment rights and, and what we should be doing. So soaringeagleradio.com, drmikespalding.com is uh, drmikespalding.com is is my blog. I post articles there and and things of that nature, and and uh, you can find Soaring Eagle on a lot of different places. And, and appreciate Doug and Joe you giving a shout out to me there. Well, we appreciate you, your, um, the quality of the information that you provide and, and the, the information and inspiration both connected together. Uh, and we thank you for it. And thank you for being part of our, our, uh, platform, our broadcast. And we, we appreciate you. And we're, I'm going to be catching up on, on your broadcast. And of course, uh, I've got your, uh, website bookmarked, but I would urge everyone to, to indeed, what was that? I bumped the mic. All right, so that that just sounded so weird. My earpiece. It did sound like a Sonic. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a sonar. Uh, right, but uh, but Pastor Spalding, we're at the end of the program. May God bless you. Thank you so very much for for joining us tonight. And thank uh, you, Doug. You've been you've been so gracious with your time. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, yeah, Joe. Great Appreciate message. it. Right. God bless you. God bless you. If we don't talk, have a Merry Christmas, Pastor. You you do the same, guys. All right. That was Dr. Mike Spaulding, Pastor Mike Spaulding, uh, incredible guest, incredible man. And, uh, you, well, you heard it. You heard it. You know, get your armor on. Get your, get, get your Bible on one hand. You're 45 in the other, right? No? Don't Sounds say good that to me. to me. We have, uh, All right. Paul McGuire will be joining us tomorrow, so you're not going to want to miss that show. Oh, yeah. Joe, um, did you know Paul McGuire is going to be joining us tomorrow? No, I didn't. Awesome. Well, you don't want to miss that show. <laughs> don't want to miss that show. It's going to be, and then we have Ted Brewer on 
Friday, so a uh, strong close to hey, the John, week. Hey, John, did you know that Paul McGuire is going to be on tomorrow? Eric the Tech, Mike up. Come on. Mike We're up. signing off. Have a good night, everyone. Good night.